you want to know what I do. You like Huey Lewis in the news? Oh! I just have to kill a lot of people. Got to return some videotape. All right. Welcome to Movie Boners, everyone. Welcome to Movie Boners. I have a from Max Line Brewing. The beer I'm drinking today is Ooh. from Max Line Brewing, and it is a white IPA. Not bone, not off-white, not uh, taupe. White. <laughs> Just white IPA, white. huh? Yep. Uh, I hope people watched American Psycho to get that. <laughs> hope so. We're going to get into it. Um, I am drinking Buried Hatchet Stout. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, from Southern Star Brewing. Mm. Uh down here in Texas, down in Conroe, okay. Texas, actually. I don't know where that's at, but this is a pretty tasty stout. Jake, I yeah. know you you are a fan of stouts. Big fan. I think you should try to find this one. It is pretty okay. good. That sounds great. Yeah, mine's uh, from, it's from Colorado, obviously. It's very good, if you like IPAs. I don't know what a white IPA is, but it's a good one, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Oh man! All right. So uh, you you mentioned. Hopefully we don't have any like. We can just dive on. into it, right? I think so. Yeah, I, I think so. So you mentioned. Hopefully, people have watched American Psycho. We're going to be spoiling American Psycho. We're getting yeah. real deep and dissecting it, quote unquote. Whew, bad choice nope. of words, man. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> Literally dissecting it, maybe cook up some brains we'll see um and yeah (laughs) it's been a it's been a it's been a dark week as we've watched it i've watched it twice i watched it once straight through because i haven't seen it in a while and then the second time i watched it to take notes and i realized that there's not really any wasted scenes in it like every time i would take a note on a scene the next scene would happen i'm like oh that's noteworthy i need to pause it so i can finish what i'm doing and so uh, it just kind of moves, especially as you get halfway through. It just moves, moves, moves. You you watched it twice. Uh, first off, I'm just going to say I am a fan of the movie. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of Christian Bale yeah. playing Patrick Bateman. Oh, yeah. Um, I have funny like kind of backstory to it. But for preparation this week, I know I posted I read the reread the book mm-hmm. and then watched the movie and took all of my notes. Um, by the way, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> that seems uh, like a kind of book you should pay, you should space out, not like just read a book that whew. book in a day or two. So it's it's like four hundred pages, and I burned through it in a little over four days. Um, yeah. There. Having read it before, and I remember when I first read it, I saw the movie before I read the book, and then when I finally got around to reading the book, yeah, uh, the book is so gross. <laughs> like, this That's is one fair. of those few times where the movie adaptation I actually prefer over the book mm. because they tone so much of it down, which is a funny thing to say about American Psycho because <laughs> it's not exactly toned down (laughs) yeah (laughs) like yeah it was very much on that (laughs) nc-17 line for a long time 
and they yeah. cut just enough to get it to an R rating. Yeah, and who? They're like, it's not the movie you watch with people. It's yeah. not the. Movie. <laughs> I, yeah. I had to laugh. So your wife sent me a photo montage of her watching the movie. Yeah. So obviously. I wasn't there watching it with you guys, but just seeing her facial expressions, I was like, oh, I bet I know what part she was on when she made that face. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She was sitting next to me watching, like she was watching her own thing. Like she was watching uh, the Hills or something. And I was watching this and she wasn't paying attention for most of it. But then there was a period of time where she started paying attention and she's like, what the fuck are you watching? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I know. You're, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so today I know we're going to be diving into, I, I'm sure you have a bunch of notes. I have probably yeah. the most notes that I have taken for quite some time. Oh, wow. Notes on the book and the movie uh, yeah. and general thoughts. Okay. Uh, I don't even know how to start this one, man. Like this, yeah. this story is so fucked up. I know <laughs> it was the book came out and it was like one of the most controversial books. Mm -hmm. I think even considered that way now oh i'm sure because so many people took it as like hyper misogynistic and like mm -hmm. uh kind of celebrating violence and rape and all that uh yeah author, I, I saw i saw several things that said that w around the time it came out media was kind of jokingly but also kind of not jokingly reviewing it as uh, reviewing the movie specifically the movie adaptation of the book was reviewed as being based on a novel written by a misogynist, but adapted yeah. by a feminist because directed by a woman who written also, also co-written by that same, by the director. And then uh, the other co-writer, the screenplay adapter is a, a woman and a lesbian and like all these. So it's like, it's an interesting conflict, I guess, kind of, or an interesting take on that topic to see yeah. how, how they did that. Well, and I also found myself watching some, uh, so like I watched the Charlie Rose interview with, excuse me, Brett Easton Ellis and uh, the director, I forget her name, Mary something. Mary, Mary Heron. Yeah. So the three of them were on the Charlie Rose show back in 2000 when the movie came out. Okay. Discussing the book, the movie, mm -hmm. uh, general public opinion, how people were perceiving or receiving whatever. Yeah, uh, kind of diving into it. And I found myself like this is definitely one of those movies or stories. Mm -hmm. You can't just have a like off the cuff kind of conversation. You can't just <laughs> yeah. be, like it doesn't just boil down to, oh, I like the movie or I didn't like the movie. It's very mm -hmm. much there's so much to this. Yeah. I think to me, one of the biggest uh, kind of things that you have to really take apart is the author the director the screenwriters consider it to be a dark comedy yeah 100 they're all like no it's a comedy it's a black yeah. comedy it's a satire on american materialism on so many and things and a lot yeah. of things yeah the 80s in general uh yeah. excessive wall street styles. culture yeah which watching it this week keeping that in mind of like okay because mm -hmm. I was introduced to it as like, it's a horror. It's just one of the most disturbing movies you'll ever watch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
and I've never been able to really watch it with the mindset of, oh, it's a black comedy. Well, I tried to watch it with that mindset this week and tried mm-hmm. to read the book with that mindset this week. Okay. And I did find myself chuckling mm-hmm. a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean. Cause I did, when you mentioned that to me, I did kind of the same thing. And there are certainly things that are absurdist or, they're they're the satire elements that do make you kind of laugh if you're not taking it too seriously when i first saw it i took it as this is a modern adaptation of psycho the alfred hitchcock movie just with in the 80s and materialism and all that Mm -hmm. stuff and uh so i took a very serious thriller kind of movie and you can do that and i think it's still it's, it's still a good movie when you do do that but it it works on a couple different levels i think yeah uh, God damn this fucking movie, man! <laughs> <This movie. laughs> it, it's so weird to like do a deep dive into a film that mm-hmm. I don't recommend to like hardly anyone. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. To have a whole podcast episode dedicated to it and telling people you should go see this so that you are not having it spoiled by us and you yeah. get to experience it I first. Have, I have felt like we should have been putting little like notes being like hey if you're easily offended disclaimer just stay away like (laughs) hey uh just skip this episode there's like basically porn in the movie uh literally (laughs) porn yeah yeah (laughs) if skip (laughs) skip it (laughs) yeah (laughs) um, Yeah. and obviously i know we were we are definitely going to be bringing up uh the biggest spoiler of the whole film, which is, well, I guess is <laughs> you're going to do it right now. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> we could. Yeah. We already warned everyone that we're spoiling the shit out of it. We are spoiling. So go watch uh, it. Well, yeah. Is it I, all, is it all in their head is what you're going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have very strong opinions on that. So okay. I'm looking forward to getting to that later on. Yeah. But I think, I think we're going to have to like suck back those uh, J&Bs on ice and uh, dry beers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not not I, do cocaine in a bathroom or the clubs, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm just a happy camper rocking and a rolling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. So I think one of the more interesting things about American Psycho specifically, obviously, casting Christian Bale as the lead, what he brings to it, especially at that point in his career, he was not really a leading man at that point. And a lot of people said, don't do it. You'll never be a leading man if you take it, that kind of thing. Um, Yeah. Told it was career suicide. He's never going to like, you won't be an actor anymore. At least you're never going to get starring roles. Yeah. Ironically, his portrayal of Patrick Bateman led to him playing some of the most iconic characters yeah. of all time. <laughs> yeah. I think it's di- directly related to his success is how he approached it and pulled off such a calculated and complicated character. Yeah. Um, and this was American Psycho was the beginning of the Christian Bale method acting. Of, yeah. Or physical body transformation. Tran- yeah. Physical transformation. Yeah. Physical trans. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this was the start of it, which is kind of crazy that it's the one that made him mm-hmm. like basically a household name, whether it was 
under good circumstances or not. <laughs> this was the yeah. way that people got to know him by. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And there's a lot of different things in it that I have grown to love about Christian Bale in later movies. I noticed kind of hints of those or sparks of those in this as well, where he acts so much with his face, like minor details with his face. Um, kind of jumping ahead a little bit. There's the scene where he goes to the dry cleaners and he's talking and yeah. that girl comes in. He's like, she's like trying to get him to go to lunch and he's trying to get out of it. And uh, he's putting on obviously a kind of like fake smile. Oh, I'll call you kind of thing. But then he drops it immediately as he's like turning away. But before the camera, before that, yeah. it stops seeing him. You can see he just <laughs> completely drops it. It was so fake the whole time. And it's amazing. Uh, one thing that I, I think is really interesting. Uh, looking at Christian Bale's performance. So he based this whole performance off of two things besides the book, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. He based part of it is based off of Nicholas cage and a vampire's kiss, Mm. which I've never seen vampire's kiss. So I'm not positive on that, but I can only imagine (laughs) where like the eccentric Mm -hmm. kind of moments are probably can't, were the ones that came from uh the one though that made me like oh oh shots fired right <laughs> like right when your uh career is about to blow up yeah he watched a david letterman interview with tom cruise back in the 90s <laughs> and said that watching tom cruise i have the quote hold on i have the quote because i couldn't believe that this was like real but it is yeah <laughs> where is it Uh, Okay, here it is. Tom Cruise had an intense friendliness with nothing behind the eyes. Yeah, I believe that. He took how how he felt about watching Tom Cruise in that interview and created this whole Patrick Bateman, like kind of polished Mm -hmm. the Patrick Bateman. I went back and watched the Tom Cruise interview. Okay. And again, thinking of like how Christian Bale saw him and thinking Mm -hmm. of like, so Patrick Bateman kind of comes from this. Mm-hmm. I get it, and it yeah. scared the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I could 100% believe it and see it. Like, just you describing it, I can see it in my mind, how he's friendly, but essentially wearing a mask, that he's yeah. he's so fake. And so, I mean, everything about his, I guess, lifestyle is fake. And But yeah, that's a good point, that to say that out loud in an interview, at the point in time when Tom Cruise <laughs> is Hollywood royalty, and uh, highest paid ever and all that stuff. That's that's ballsy. That's ballsy, which kind of goes to say a lot about Christian Bale because he's always kind of had yeah. that, like, uh, he doesn't beat around the bush with anything. <laughs> Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's fucking Welsh. Yeah. But I thought that was really interesting and kind of added even more to the whole psyche of Patrick Bateman to me of the wanting to fit in to the point of like mm-hmm. the obsession with the excessive lifestyle, the suits, mm-hmm. the the cards, how much yeah. money you spend is kind of like the more money you spend, mm-hmm. the higher class or higher, like you're held. Right. Um, yeah. That's, that's, I mean, that kind of from the very beginning of the movie, when they're at that restaurant, that chick's restaurant and, uh, they're like, oh, speaking of very reasonable, it's only $570 right. for four dudes to have lunch. Like that's, even if that's before tip, that's more than $150 a person. It's like, that's what insane. are you doing? Which in the book, 
the book is very much like that, where he dissects and lists all the different foods and how expensive something is and how he's mm. like pleasantly surprised if he can go on a date, take a woman out and only spend 500 bucks or mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's crazy that all of those characters, those guys, it's kind of like, and then, and I think this is, I think it's very interesting. Generally, when I see a movie like this, and I've done this before, I've done this on the show before, where I see a movie that has 100% shitty dudes in it who are misogynist, bro culture dudes, and literally hacking up women to an extent. Um, and it's written and directed by women. I will be probably critical of it and say, oh, this is, you know, the the negative way that feminism attacks those kinds of things. But I don't take that from this at all. I take that as, and granted, yes, there is a wall street bro culture kind of thing. These guys say really terrible things. And in the book, I'm sure they say even worse things. (laughs) Yeah. There's some horrible things, (laughs) but I think you can, I think you can certainly write that. And like people that would criticize that or criticize, uh, what's his name? Ellis, the book, Red Easton Ellis. Freddie Stanellis as being misogynistic. I think you can write that and not be misogynistic. I think you can write that with a point or meaning for those characters and the story and all that stuff. Um, It's tough to read and it's certainly not everybody enjoys reading it, but I think that it gets the point across of these are these kind of people. They have these kinds of motivations and they see other people as they do the rest of the world that they're material objects to be owned or possessed or just to elevate their own status they're narcissistic they're all of these self-involved things and watching i mentioned it earlier watching it this time around really really keeping in mind to focus on the satire aspect Mm -hmm. of the story um i get it like i totally got the satire it made me i mention it like i did find myself chuckling mm-hmm. quite a bit during the movie this time around and even yeah. chuckling while i read the book some of the scenes there's plenty in the <laughs> book that i do not laugh about uh i'll be very honest very tough time getting through the book yeah both times i've read it it's just okay. so it, it's a difficult read <laughs> it's yeah. a very difficult read the part that seems <laughs> the hardest that i've heard about it or read about people describing it is like the ex- the extreme detail or excessive detail about everything. Yeah. Um, so reading the complete detailing of how he murders some of the women, that kind of brutality, mm-hmm. you're it's very like maybe this author should seek help or <laughs> yeah. should have sought help because it's pretty out there um but it's also a difficult read because there are pages even chapters there are full chapters of just listing like Mm. there's chapters on the band genesis whitney houston (laughs) and huey lewis in the news where it doesn't really pertain to the story so much it's literally just like a vh1 breakdown Mm. of the band or the lists of all the different suits and ties that you can combine, what kind of knots you tie the, the tie yeah. into, uh, the pants, the underwear. 
the I mean, okay, so in the movie when he gives you his whole morning routine, right? That is almost verbatim from the book. Okay. So imagine you're watching it on screen, and I know everyone has had the same thought, especially that first time you watch it, where you're like, "What am yeah. I watching? Why am I and watching I- this guy like salon spa style mm-hmm. <laughs> make himself pretty?" And how long is this going to go on? For? Right. Although it's almost verbatim to the book, it shortened down. Okay. <laughs> I believe like, it. It is nuts. The book even goes into describing how he changes his underwear during his morning routine when he'll wear underwear, when he won't wear underwear. And you're very oh, wow. like, what is this? <laughs> Reading it with the satirical mindset, though. Yeah. I was laughing pretty hard during all of that, just because it's very, to me, obvious now of like, this is hilarious. Like, this is a great yeah. way to not poke fun, but to blatantly rip apart mm-hmm. yeah. this mentality. I know it takes place in the 80s, but it, it's kind of still timely now because of people's obsession with like vanity. Right. And where they are in class. Yeah. If this has existed in. 2010 2020 he would be on social media he would be obsessed with posting i'm at this place i'm doing this thing look at this boat look at this vacation yeah he would be trying to be a social media influencer or whatever those people are yeah the super rich obnoxious yeah yeah social media influencers have become the new wall street vice presidents who are rich for no reason and oh, so don't. you noticed that little detail, <laughs> did you? <laughs> yeah, I noticed yeah. that. That's my, that's probably my second favorite scene is is the the business card the scene. The business where cards. Every single one of them is a vice president for some reason. And you ne- throughout the course of the movie, you never see anybody do any work. Right. He'll go to work. He'll come to work late sometimes, and he'll just do crosswords, watch TV. He doesn't even have a music. computer on his desk. <laughs> no. He doesn't even have that. He just sits there, doodles, <laughs> goes to lunch, stays at lunch, never goes back to work. Like, I don't know how he makes money. I don't know what these people do. And I, I feel like that was, if you've seen, I'm sure you've seen, but if listeners have seen um, Wall Street, the movie Wall yep. Street, Gordon Gecko has a speech basically about how he like acquired a business and they have like 33 vice presidents. He doesn't know what any of them do. And I think it's kind of like that. It's like, this is just the way it was that yeah. they're rich and they like to be rich and they spend money that they just acquire. They keep acquiring money. I don't understand it. <laughs> Somehow it's just always readily available to them. Yeah. Um, that is part of the joke as I take it of like, mm-hmm. they've just gotten themselves to this point where they can do this. There are a couple hints though to Patrick Bateman's wealth. Okay. And why he's actually rich. Mm-hmm. Um, in the movie, there's like a direct line about it, which is not in the book. Mm. Whereas the book really hints heavily towards it. But you essentially get the idea that Bateman's family either own Pierce and Pierce, the firm mm. that he works for, or they mm. own several firms okay. on Wall Street. And he's just kind of yeah, so he's like old money, kind of. Kind of, where he's just, he's the rich snob kid. He's yeah. blowing dad's money, basically. Uh, yeah. In the book, there's a line where they start to mention his family. They don't even, like, mention his dad specifically. They just hmm. 
but your family owns and he cuts them off. And he's like, we're mm. not talking about that. And that's the last thing you ever hear about his family. You do find out he has a brother okay. who is just as shitty as he is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not surprised. Right. Um, but, and then in the movie, they, there is a direct line. I think it's his secretary. No. Uh, I think it was the, well, she was a screenwriter who played the lesbian in the yeah. second threesome scene. Yeah. Um, she has the line of like, your father owns the company. And yeah. then he cuts her off and gets her drunk. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 interesting. I like probably my favorite line in the movie that I think exposes his character the most is early on when he's in the car with his fiance played by Reese Witherspoon. And she's talking about getting married and he's like, I can't I take the time off work. And she asks, why don't you just quit? He says, because I want to fit in. Yes. And I think that's like the most succinct way to describe his character and how he sees this lifestyle is just like, I'm doing these things because it's what people, everybody else does. It doesn't, I don't love it. It's not for me. It's not even part of me. It's just part of the facade of me. Like he talks earlier about Patrick Bateman's idea. He doesn't really even exist. Right. Which is interesting that the movie starts, basically starts with that monologue. Mm -hmm. That monologue is towards the end of the book. Okay. But it works perfectly in both. Yeah. uh, Both medias. So I I do find it really interesting. And I, man, there is something about Christian Bale's voice. Yeah. He is saying that whole monologue. And when he does the, I want to fit in line. Mm -hmm. he does such a great this will be a we are praising the hell out of christian bale kind of episode um he does such a great job in that monologue of making you so uncomfortable Mm -hmm. especially with like as the camera's closing in on his face and it's just Mm -hmm. dead eyes staring back at you and he has that line of like there is an idea of patrick bateman but i simply don't exist Mm -hmm. um you get kind of like chills when he says that because you're yeah. like, well, I know you exist, but this whole like, mm-hmm. it kind of, it kind of <laughs> like pokes at you. And then the, I want to fit in. I agree completely with you. It's such a great like summation of his character mm-hmm. of like this desperate, sad man who's just <laughs> doing all the excessive things just to have a status within this group right right which uh, automatically like when you kind of get that you're able to laugh again Mm -hmm. (laughs) i mean he's the only one that's like actually murdering anyone (laughs) that we know of yeah Uh, but there's questions about that stuff that too we'll get to that later on but yeah patrick he's a terrifying character yeah and he has so many great monologues like if you are into monologues or if you need a monologue for like a acting class or something right like an audition or something yeah there's so many great ones that first one is great all the ones where he describes like the music and what's going on with the different bands that he likes and then at the end he has a different monologue and i think that's probably why they moved the one at the end of the book to the beginning of the movie is because the one the monologue at the very end is also amazing and very very interesting yeah And he constantly, every time he monologues in the film, which is fairly often. Yeah. 
it, you kind of find yourself not being able to look away. Right. Like you have to focus on what he's saying, all the little pauses between all the word. Like there is, mm-hmm. you feel just a gravity when he is monologuing, especially the opening and closing monologues. The, the band monologues you're very creeped out by because every yeah. time he does that, someone dies a horrific <laughs> death. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's also like, it's less personal in an off-putting way. Yeah. Like I take the band monologues where he's talking about Huey Lewis or Winnie Houston or whoever as not something that he actually feels or thinks or has thought about. It may just be something he read in a like in a in a magazine like Rolling Stone or something. Yeah. And that he's reciting as a way to like appear normal or like as a as an interesting topic of conversation. And it seems rehearsed, I guess. And it so seems detached for that reason. It does. Uh, yeah, it does feel like he is just uh, reciting like mm-hmm. an article breakdown of a band. Yeah. Just the way that he'll describe which song or album elevated mm-hmm. the band to this new status or really hit their stride with this one. Just the yeah. way that he like enunciates. It sounds like a magazine article. He does. Yeah. It, it sounds the same as purpose. when he, it sounds as when the same as when he takes his mistress to that restaurant and says, you're going to have this dish paired with this because the, this newspaper called it a, an interesting and mysterious, like little dish. And like he, yeah. he knows what's being reviewed, what is high, like status, high quality, and what is, what is interesting as far as culture, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Relying on the, uh, the Zagat from the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all right. Diving into the notes. Oh, funny little coincidental line from the book. Uh, mm-hmm. there is a part. It's about halfway through the book where there's a character named Daisy that shows up. Uh, she's like walks in. There's another woman or Daisy's talking to Bateman. And this other woman comes walking in and the woman's line is what in God's name are you doing with a stud like Batman? <laughs> she drops the E. There's a couple lines of Batman in the book, okay. which yeah. made me laugh really hard because I was like, <laughs> well, Christian Bale is Batman. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it took Batman. five years, but five years after playing Bateman, he was <laughs> Batman. So I thought that was a coincidental line because no one even knew who Christian Bale was at that time. Right. And I thought that was really funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's like a serendipity <laughs> moment. That's interesting. Right, right. Uh, I think one of the parts that makes me chuckle a lot in the movie, mm-hmm. and Bateman's character is offensive. He's a horrible, horrible creature. Right. But he has a couple moments where he goes on like these soapboxes of trying to get uh-huh. back to moral values and how we have to have a quality and we have to drop mm-hmm. all of this. Not, and it's, it's funny to me to hear him say yeah. that because when he's saying all that stuff, it's actually kind of countering the people he's around. You know, right. he calls people on like, I just wish you would stop saying anti-Semitic phrases. And you're like, right. you're a mass murderer who <laughs> like rapes, dismembers and eats people uh, right 
yeah he he has that one really long uh i guess monologue at that restaurant with all of his friends and uh is talking about like all the things that are really important that we need to focus on and and it feels again kind of cold and practiced like it's like a like a politician kind of like yeah. this is important uh feminism is important equality is important race relations are important like all of these he just rattles off all these like moral values and then but it, it is funny because he he talks about how we need to have like less materialism and then his friend like spits in his drink because he's like <laughs> yeah obviously you don't believe that i don't believe that nobody <laughs> believes that Considering all the suits and the artwork and the the way the house mm-hmm. is spread out or his apartment is spread out, yeah. And yeah. literally, when he walks into that restaurant, he's like his, the monologue or the voiceover in the movie. He's like, I was like absolutely like insane with like fear that we wouldn't have a good table, and then I, <laughs> right. it just washed over me when we did have a good table. Like that was just such a relief. <laughs> yeah, there's. There definitely is, and I, I I really appreciate I think I became more of a fan of the movie this time around, just really catching on finally and really focusing on the dark satire of the whole thing, because it, it mm-hmm. really is full of just hilarious moments like him freaking out over getting a bad <laughs> table at a restaurant. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then being like the relief washed over me like an incredible <laughs> wave. And you're like, mm-hmm. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, you know they're always going to like the new hit club. They're always mm-hmm. going to a new hit restaurant that you basically can't get into unless you have reservations set. Yeah, way in advance. And it's a total status thing if you can get in when other people can't get in. Yeah, and that's oh. part of his jealousy with uh, Paul Allen or, or anybody who could do that. If they can get into Dorzia and he can't, he yeah. he's pretty upset about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. You brought up Paul Allen. So they changed the character name and I could not find anywhere. I couldn't find why they changed the name. So Paul Allen in the book is Paul Owen. Okay. I have no clue why they changed the name. I couldn't find that in any of the fun little tidbits. But anyways, yeah. Paul Allen. Paul is, Allen sounds more douchey. I feel like it may have just been a. <laughs> Uh, if you're hearing people say it out loud instead of reading it, it just sounds better. You know what? If that if that's the reason, <laughs> yep, I agree with that. <laughs> uh, but it's Jared Leto who was yeah. also unknown at that time. Yeah, and he is a complete fucking douche. He's yes. such a douche in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, intentionally, he plays a douche well, if that's something you could say. It's funny knowing how Jared Leto is now, where he's like got the long kind of hippie hair. He's very like, let's be in tune with everyone. Uh, Mm. No offense, Jared Leto, but. (laughs) You wear weird outfits, dude. You you wear like, yeah. So to see him playing this Wall Street guy who has a higher status quo than than Patrick Bateman does. Mm hmm is kind of funny because he totally like talks down to him. He's very, yeah, he's, he's a piece of shit. Did you notice though in that scene? It's the, uh, it's the cards. Yeah. As they're all like in their conference room for no reason. They're just there. (laughs) They're not working. They're just 
sitting there and <laughs> waiting for something. And then, yeah, Paul Allen comes in and mistakes Patrick Bateman for another guy. And I love how he describes it's understandable because the guy he mistook me for also works at the same firm, also does the same job I do, also wears the same suits and glasses and has the same barber. I'm like, and that's something that's hilarious to me. So going back to the comedy so, thing. Well, this is the point. You and I are on the same page. <laughs> yeah. As you watch the movie, everyone is dressed the same. Everyone yeah. is styled the same. <laughs> yeah, they're wearing the same things. And everybody is always mistaking somebody for somebody else because yep. you can't tell them apart. They're the drones. <laughs> they're like, they're just ca- carbon copies of each other. And, and the- <laughs> they're, they're fighting each other for like tiny little differences, like the differences in their business cards. But to a normal people like you and I, they're the exact same person with the exact oh, same yeah. life. Like they even to the point where they won't even mistake each other, but it, it branches out into mistaking anyone else that would be in the public eye. So there's yeah. the restaurant scene with Paul Allen where Patrick Bateman's like, oh, is that Ivana Trump over there? Mm-hmm. And the camera shows you who he's looking at and clear as day. You're like, yeah, no, it's no. just a blonde, <laughs> blonde lady. But seeing like Paul Allen immediately kind of reset himself to be like, oh, if she's there, I need to be like proper and happy mm-hmm. to be here. Because obviously this place is hit, even though yeah. it's a uh, Texarkana. <laughs> restaurant yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i love that detail of so it's not everyone wears the same glasses it's like every other wall street guy at pmp is dressed the same as bateman and then Mm -hmm. all the others are dressed the same as uh i think his name the timothy tim price tim price yeah so everyone is dressed the same way as those two characters. And I love that everyone <laughs> has no clue who each other are. Yeah. Like the whole yeah. movie. <laughs> but yeah, they're constantly confusing Bateman with somebody else. And he, he, the people will talk directly to him to his face and call him another name or, yeah, they call him and, Marcus. And, yeah. And then they'll, and then they'll go down and they're like, Oh yeah. Bateman, he's a douche. I like, he's a, such, <laughs> such a dork. I can't believe, can't believe Damon's or Damon's dating that hottie or whatever. But he's such a dork. And it's, yeah, it's such a funny thing that he is, is so focused on this status and being different and special and exceptional. And yet is just completely lost in this sea of sameness that nobody even knows he exists basically. And it works to his advantage because he is killing people and getting away with it for a very long time. He he kills a lot of people. Yeah. So many people. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so it's kind of funny seeing Jared Leto in this role opposite Christian Bale, Mm -hmm. uh, especially in a, in this year, 2021, uh, because they both went on to play just incredible, iconic superhero characters, you know, right. Batman and Joker. Yeah. Uh, I think American Psycho kind of got rejuvenated after Jared Leto became the Joker. Cause mm-hmm. then there's like been this huge joke of if you ever want to watch Batman actually kill the Joker, you just got to watch American <laughs> Psycho. Okay. <laughs> it's That's true. It's true. It's, it's very <laughs> true. Um, yeah, him like so the murder of Paul Allen. So <laughs> it's it's like so abrupt. Off-putting. It is abrupt. <laughs> well, because it's 
it's not the first murder you see in the movie. No. There he stabs that homeless dude. And uh that's off putting because you're like, Oh, I thought you were being a douche, but also kinda nice, but now you're murdering him. That's you know he, well, he's then, unpredictable. And then he does the cherry on top where he stomps on the puppy. Yeah, that's when you're like a real piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just if you didn't hate him enough, they were like, you know what? Stomp on the mm-hmm. puppy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but when he brings Paul Allen back, and well, I, I like the detail that when he takes him out to dinner, they're at this restaurant that is empty. Nobody goes there and mm-hmm. no one's going to see them that they know, obviously, because why would they be caught dead there? Uh, literally. And, uh, but he gets him drunk and takes him back to his apartment and has like newspaper all over the ground. The style like, section. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very, I'm sure intentionally the style section. And then when he puts on Huey Lewis in the news and starts monologuing about how great they are and how their sound is important and, and it, like it has moved music forward in all these interesting ways. It's very detailed and, you don't really know what to think because you're like trying to listen to what he's saying, but you're mostly focused well, on the fact that he's putting on a raincoat. Uh, he's putting on the raincoat. He grabs this massive axe. I mean, it's the say, nicest axe I've ever seen. I've never so seen an pristine. axe that's like silver polished axe Which like that. It's almost, it's another fun little detail that even Patrick Bateman's tools of murder and mayhem, because then he opens like his drawers and everything's mm-hmm. organized nice and clean. And he's like playing with the tip of the knife at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only drawer that is not organized and clean is the bedroom one. And we'll be getting <laughs> to that in a little bit. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you notice like how clean and perfect oh, yeah. looking the axe is. Yeah. It's certainly brand new. <laughs> he got it for this exact occasion. <laughs> and I've never seen. I don't even know what kind of axe head that is. That's like the shiniest axe that I've ever seen. (laughs) Like there could be a reflection. Ooh, that reminds me. We'll get to that here in a second. Um, So (laughs) we get to watch Christian Bale's like famous piece of. uh, I just lost the word. Oh, my God. Improv. (laughs) Yeah. He wasn't supposed to dance. (laughs) but there's something about him doing that little like shuffle Mm -hmm. wearing the raincoat yeah (laughs) that makes it even more uncomfortable to watch because you chuckle and then you're like oh he's about to drive this axe into this dude yeah and then it does (laughs) it like kind of cements that he's not having a normal conversation he's kind of losing it kind of losing I don't know. He looks crazy and he does a good job of coming across as someone who's becoming more and more crazy as time goes on. Yeah. Allows himself to snap, Mm -hmm. hacks up Paul Allen, and then takes the raincoat off the whole time. Mm -hmm. Huey Lewis. So hip to be squared. Did you notice you watched it twice? Yeah. Did you notice the lyrics of the song? Oh, yeah. Right after he hacks him up. Yeah, I, I was focusing was very so, much like that was on purpose. That yeah, had I, to have been. <laughs> I was focusing so much on all the music he talks about. I was like, why do you like this music? What does it mean to you or say to you? Yeah. And yeah, I think that there's it's such a happy song, but I think that there are <laughs> connections that you could describe that are 
darkly related it, to his character. It seems to it seems to be about Patrick Bateman. like you know that's not the actual case but Mm -hmm. just that that specific verse that they play right after he hacks him up and then he takes the raincoat off kind of straightens his hair back up lights a cigar and just Mm -hmm. calmly sits back down you're like Mm -hmm. i don't know if i could ever listen to huey lewis in the news the same way ever again Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah yeah it's kind of weird and <laughs> for such a happy song and I, I love the music like the way music is used and i don't know if that's something they do in the book or if uh, it's music done. is a big part of it but like i said they really just he has like three chapters where he just does those mm-hmm. uh kind of music magazine breakdowns of them okay uh, he does it with genesis whitney houston and huey lewis um Oh, I'm forgetting one of them. There's one more. I can't remember who it is. Okay. Um, damn. Damn it. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's he does just do that. The, the movie does it so perfectly because it it takes those bigger music scenes, obviously, and you are listening to music while you're watching something happen. And it's just a, a, a different kind of experience. But then just the music on the whole that he like, listens to on the way to work like he listens to uh uh, i'm walking on sunshine as he's like walking into work after like his big dark monologue and then he's like in the car listening to simply irresistible like a new the new robert palmer tape while uh, his fiance is buzzing in his ear and it's just like these are the like happy bopping 80s songs that he seems to be like connecting to in the most human way possible for him maybe right yeah it, it is almost like those songs specifically he is kind of living through or being like oh mm-hmm. they get me which yeah. is kind of a terrifying thought so that that kind of is a callback <laughs> to the book in the book he goes to a u2 concert okay and it, he makes this big deal of hating live music in the book hates it refuses to yeah. be a part of it ends up at a u2 concert and he's miserable. He's front row, miserable, asking to leave so you can go and find and do coke, which is also a big thing of the story. They're always mm-hmm. wanting to find coke. Like, <laughs> Let's go do coke. Yeah, um, it was the 80s. It was. But he has a line during the YouTube concert where he's describing Bono like sees them leaving and he follows him and he's like mm. staring him down and pointing at him. And Patrick Bateman has this whole thing of. I felt like he actually saw the real me. I feel like he understood who I am because he's the exact same way putting on like <laughs> this grand show, this whole facade uh, of something for everyone around you, but you're someone entirely different mm-hmm. when they're not around you. Like he, he kind of sums it up that way. And then he becomes a fan. It's kind of funny, okay. but <laughs> so I felt like the way they use the music in the movie kind of reflect that moment Yeah, where he really is like, finding himself in the music or feeling, Oh, these guys, they Mm -hmm. are me. Obviously we all know these musicians are not out. Yeah. People up. So that's what you think. That's I I would hope they're not. I would hope they're not. Uh, They kind of do that thing that you just described at the end where he sees Ronald Reagan on TV and they're like, the, the conversation is like, Oh, look at this guy. He's like got this like mask on, but inside. And then Patrick is like, yes, 
Yes, <laughs> yeah. Inside. How can he lie like that? How can he just be this yeah. way to people's faces? <laughs> and he's, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like in, inside, I'm very different. And so he kind of, which is a scary thought, identifies with politicians as being like, yeah, they can do it. I can do it kind of thing. But, you know, he has a, an obsession with serial killers throughout the whole story. One of his, the opening mm-hmm. scene, he brings up uh, Ed Gein. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, and that's an, I think an interesting part is he like he is aware of serial killers and their careers and their successes and failures. He's kind of studies them as like maybe role models, maybe like competition. Maybe he's has a social status with them like they like he yeah. does with his peers at the firm. They don't bring it up too much, but I constantly get a very Ted Bundy vibe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He he I think he only mentions two in the movie. He mentions yeah. Ed Gein when he talks about that one quote, which I read that's not an Ed Gein quote, that's an Ed Kemper quote. Oh. Doesn't really change anything. Still a serial it's, killer, still a piece of shit, but yeah. interesting. And then he talks later about Ted Bundy. He's like and he uses them in like it, I don't think he knows that it's not normal for people to bring this up in social settings. Like he's so detached and on this serial killer spectrum that he's like, he brings it up as like, Oh, here's an interesting tidbit I can share with people. And it's like, Oh, did you know that Ted Bundy's first right. dog was named Lassie? Isn't that hilarious? She's like, who the hell is Ted Bundy? I don't know what you're talking about. So it's funny. You brought that up because we've been known. Your wife mm. has been known. Yeah. To She's, kind of break the social norm where we <laughs> will interject conversations with a disturbing like, oh, I learned this about this serial killer, you know. Yeah. So watching American Psycho and he's doing that very much like, ooh, I pro- <laughs> I'm like, I'm not killing. I have noticed it. Like, I am not on that spectrum. <laughs> that yeah. spectrum terrifies the hell out of me. He'd be uh, less weird if uh, he was around in 2020 and crime podcasts were like a big deal. I, I think he'd be more dangerous. If Patrick Bateman mm-hmm. was set in these days, you already brought it up earlier with being like, he would probably want to be a, a social media influencer. Right. But yeah, he would probably also be like constantly preaching the <laughs> the true crimes or going into great detail of not just the the murder sprees or the crime scenes, but like where mm-hmm. they failed, where he thinks he could probably do better. I could totally see Bateman being that kind of yeah. character now. This story and this movie would never mm-hmm. be allowed to come out these days, though. <laughs> <laughs> This character yeah. would not be allowed to even exist, I don't feel. I'm yeah. kind of shocked it hasn't gotten roped into the cancel culture, but that's a different conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's it's very interesting and different. I think that partly part of the reason it's accepted maybe is because he's an obvious piece of shit, obvious misogynist. He doesn't go down for it. Like if there was some sort of justice for him, that would probably be better. But but he there's no justice away with it. Yeah. But I don't want to jump too far ahead because there's still. Yeah. We've only talked about really one murder so far. <laughs> yeah. And the materialism we, we've been trying to. I think it's funny that you and I started this off with like the see, we're going to show you the satire. We'll we'll be like, mm-hmm. ha ha ha. Wall Street <laughs> douchebags. Ha ha ha. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
That's like, fair. You, well, two murders, because you brought up the homeless man that he stabs. Yeah. Uh, right. By the way, mm-hmm. that man's murder in the book uh-huh. lasts for a while. Oh, really? It is not just a couple stabs and then he stomps on the dog. No, he plucks the dude's eyes out. Okay. Like he plucks one of the eyes out, stabs him a few times, cuts him apart a little bit, and then Mm. makes like he puts an incision in the other eyeball to make it pop. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Ew. And then he stabs him several more times. And then as the dog is barking at him, he stomps mm-hmm. on only the dog's front legs so that they oh. break. Oh. And then he leaves the dog to suffer. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Yeah. Like, it's. Oh, I probably should have warned you. I will be letting you know how some of the murders actually happen. They hint yeah. at them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was like, if I'm going <laughs> to have to suffer this stuff, and I'll probably still give you like the summary of it. <laughs> mm hmm. But yeah, that homeless man, truly, <laughs> truly just, oh, none of the murders yeah. are easy to read about. There right. are some, the brutality in this story is mm-hmm. unreal. It's unlike anything I've read before, fictional wise. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, yeah, I totally see that. Yeah. I think it's interesting in, at least in the movie, how it escalates, like from the beginning Going into it, you obviously yeah. know that he's going to be psychotic. He describes himself very early on as being psychotic. But he kind of the first real hint of it is when he goes to the club at the very beginning and the music is loud and he's talking to the bartender and she turns around and get him a drink. And he, what does he say? He's like, you're an ugly bitch. I want to like yeah, you're an kill ugly you and bitch. play with your blood. Yeah. That's and uh, play around line. in your blood. Yeah. And uh, and he says it like out loud and she doesn't hear him because the music's so loud. And so what I take away from that is that he is wanting, kind of wanting to express it, wanting to put it out there in the world that he feels this way, that he thinks these things before he's yet acting on it. He's saying it out loud in a public place like there's an excitement that he could get caught maybe in that way um but she doesn't hear him and he kind of just goes along his way and he's like oh that was easy i didn't get i got away with it how exciting kind of thing and so i think that is the the first baby step and then it starts escalating into like actually killing a guy And and he does that thing a few times where he'll say it out loud and people will mishear him or just not acknowledge that he actually said anything and every time he kind of smiles about it like uh i'm being honest with everyone i just told him i was gonna murder people (laughs) you know my my favorites when he's executions yeah that's my favorite one when he's talking to that model she's like what do you do he's like i'm into murder and executions she's like oh do you like it because people i know who are in mergers and acquisitions don't really like it (laughs) yeah and he just smiles and nods at her (laughs) yeah like uh (laughs) so you brought up the bar uh they do an interesting thing with his character with reflections so Mm. the bar if you notice the mirror that he's like in yeah it's not actually broken but it's designed to look like there's a crack in it Mm. where it's got like a bar through it but it it makes the mirror look broken and it looks cracked 
Yeah. Uh, and then right after that, he's in the cab with his fiance mm-hmm. and they do that shot from the front of the cab into it. Whoops. Yeah. And he's behind the the faded glass so you can't see him and she's yeah. perfectly visible. They do that kind of stuff throughout the movie where you see him a lot through a mirror mm. and then like him being blurred out. Mm-hmm. I also obvi- take that as a very obvious uh, kind of look at yourself audience, not saying you are yeah, like a murder spree killer, but mm-hmm. uh, Patrick Bateman kind of preaches about all the shit we get caught up into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His obsession with status and materialism and all that stuff is yeah. certainly relevant in the eighties and it's very certainly relevant in the early two thousands when the movie came out. <laughs> so it's watching it. You kind of can't help, but feel like even more gross on a certain mm-hmm. level because of all the, Oh, you're looking at him through a reflection. So mm-hmm. is that, Am I being reflected or he's blurred? Could this be me? Yeah. Gross. <laughs> yeah. But I absolutely. do like those choices in telling the story. Yeah. Um, oh man. I feel like, I feel like we're getting close mm-hmm. to the, like one of the more famous mm-hmm. murder scenes. Well, actually it's not even a murder scene, but it's a scene that people seem to, remember high like a lot because in an r-rated film which is already allowed to do quite a bit Mm -hmm. it's still shocking to watch Mm -hmm. like a full-on threesome yeah that lasts forever (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure it lasted even longer if you were watching it in the theater surrounded by strangers or (laughs) right people you know (laughs) Like, and they do so many things. It's so yes, <laughs> yeah. He 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 goes on for a while. Does a lot of different things. Films it all. It's the probably the most obvious part about it is that he's very. As he's having the threesome, he's very much focused on himself again, being very narcissistic. He's looking in the mirror. He's like, oh, look at my biceps. Look at me. Like, look how cool I am. I'm a cool guy doing cool stuff. And uh, I have a cool apartment. And it kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, in the movie Office Space, that neighbor that he goes to visit. And he's like, what would you do if you had a million dollars? He's like, what would I do? Two chicks at the same time. (laughs) That's what I would do. Like this is that guy just except that neighbor you feel would still have like a more grounded life. Yeah, I mean, he's a he'd be nice leader. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wouldn't. But yeah, I get the idea that he's only doing it because he can say that he has done it, or that rumors will get out from these people that he's invited over that oh, I was at Patrick Bateman's. He's a executive at P and P, and like yeah. he's. And he like when he every time he asks them, he's like, do you know, like where I work? And, do you know, like, have you heard of that place? Have you heard of me? And they're like, no, I don't care. And he's <laughs> yeah. always like kind of disappointed. That <laughs> they don't they're not as impressed by the things that his friends are impressed by because they're normal people that aren't obsessed with the restaurants and the status and all right. this stuff. Now, I think it's it's interesting watching this movie 
after you've already seen it like once or twice and rewatching that scene because the scene finally ends, which you know how sometimes you'll watch a movie that has like a sex scene in it that can be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You they're never like this, but sometimes you'll watch it and they seem to go on for some amount of time. And then other times you feel like the scene just blows right through and you're whatever. Yeah. This scene in American psycho always feels long. It always feels like it's just not going to go away and you get very mm-hmm. uncomfortable watching it every time. <laughs> it yeah. just- and by the time it's like, it seems done and they're like in bed and sleeping and you're like, okay, this is good. I can Don't relax. And the then watch. it's like, yeah. And then they like, are like, Oh, can we leave? He's like, no, we're not done yet. You're like, no, <laughs> right. Luckily the camera cuts there, but yeah. it doesn't cut before you see him open the drawer. Right. And the drawer is like the messiest thing in his whole apartment uh, Mm -hmm. with all the the tools of torture, including a wire hanger hanger. Yeah. Him holding that up and then telling them we're not done yet. And then it cuts. Thank God it cuts. Yeah. (laughs) And then like the girls are leaving and the one has like she's stumbling. Her nose is bleeding yeah man so the book doesn't go into uh, shockingly the book isn't super graphic on that part it is pretty Mm. graphic during the sex scene like there's there's a lot of ass eating in the book like that's (laughs) there's only one part in the movie yeah but in the book it happens a lot whether it's the two girls eating each other's asses out or one of the girls eating his or vice Mm. versa like there's a lot of ass eating in the book. It's very, <laughs> I mean, teach their own, but yeah, damn. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but just that, like letting your imagination run wild with what is he going to use the coat hanger for? Right. Gross. Right. Um, also very interesting though. He doesn't kill them. He right. has his big music monologue at the whole scene is set up perfectly to murder both of them. Yeah. He, after he has killed Paul Allen doing a music monologue about Huey Lewis, he's now monologuing to these girls about Genesis and, and, uh, and Phil, Phil Collins, Collins and how, how great like Phil Collins has become and how he loves him and all this stuff. And you're like, Oh no, this is definitely going to go the same way. And he's going to kill both of them. And then, yeah, they just, he gives them their money and they leave and it's, it's okay. Yeah. Which is. Oh, it's not okay. They are. It's not okay. No, I, I know and, what you mean, uh, but, <laughs> but they are alive. most people would feel kind of a sense of relief that he let them leave. I do yeah. not. I get very yeah. like <laughs> disturbed, greatly disturbed that he lets them leave because, and you brought it up. Mm-hmm. He's almost wanting them to go out and tell people yeah. what they were just put through the abuse and torture. They were just put through like almost like mm-hmm. he's putting, they are his trophies, but they're living trophies. Now they're going to go out right. and talk about it, uh, mm-hmm. which is so fucked up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they do hint on later on in the book that there was some of like this motion happening and oh yeah that would kinda, explain yeah her her nose is like yeah bleeding. 
and he's super abusive. Uh, and he does mention in the movie and in the book of trying brains, which is something the movie actually is very of all of his nastiness. They really tone down the rape and the cannibalism. Uh-huh. Yeah. Those are very prominent in the book. So okay. when I say that I'm happy with the adaptation, it's because I didn't need to. I <laughs> Had I read the book before I saw the movie, I would almost not want to watch the movie just oh, because sure. of the rape and cannibalism alone. The violence yeah. I can stomach. Those two things in the book are so highlighted. Not like mm-hmm. they're there prominently. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, a significant part of it. Yeah, but the cannibalism is a thing to Patrick Bateman because it's not just the bloodlust. It's not just the need to kill, but he's wanting to consume as well. Yeah, uh, He goes full-blown <laughs> psycho serial killer. Like, not just... <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting phrasing that you just had, that he's a consumer of the of their flesh where i think obviously being american psycho is about american materialism and and all of that consuming of status consuming of objects consuming of goods that you've purchased he is that obviously but is also a consumer of human flesh in in a weird way which is also gross it's gross but you kind of can see the it's almost like the cherry on top metaphor, you know, where it's like he is all consuming in this. He's so wrapped up in how he fits into this world that Mm -hmm. he has to like do it all the way or he's failing Mm -hmm. all the time. And you kind of get that sense in general from him with like the business cards. He thought that he had the great, the best one. And then they, they hit him with, you know, Look at Paul Allen has a watermark and Paul Allen has a watermark to the point where he drops <laughs> his card out of yeah. just shame and, like, yeah. and disgust. Yeah. And yeah. It's, like it's sweat. He wants, he wants to be the best. And I think he wants to be the best at being a serial killer as well. Yeah. That he's, he knows all about Ed Gein and Ted Bundy. And he's, I think that he does think that he is better than them. And so he he want, you can't be the best unless you're weird and eccentric and, and a cannibal and it's not enough to just kill people and get away with it. You need to now start doing weird things. Yeah, you you have to one up every right. time. Well, at the same time, he like copies the environment. He is a product mm-hmm. of his environment. Uh, mm-hmm. The murder spree is just kind of like him being well, him snapping. Uh, <laughs> yeah yeah um god damn it um <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the your turn the, one of the one of the best things <laughs> that i think one of the best things about the movie is after paul allen goes missing mm-hmm. and oh um, obviously he he uh patrick bateman starts using paul allen's apartment he goes to his apartment makes it look like he packed and went to london yeah um to like get away with it and that i think that works well but then uh 
there's an investigator that shows up at his office who starts like looking around trying to like dig up he feels like paul allen disappeared is kind of investigating his disappearance and so played by willem dafoe this investigator is like questioning him a couple of times they have three different meetings and it's always it's always interesting me to me watching that because i don't know if he suspects patrick bateman or if he's just being friendly and like because there are several times that he doesn't really follow up on a question maybe my biggest critique of it is in their second meeting no in their third meeting when they go to like lunch Lunch. together um there's a the way that patrick bateman portrays it it comes across to me so obvious and so Mm -hmm. i believe it less that this investigator is not catching on to it if i would i would feel like he should be more consistent with his like mask and calculated uh way to hide his guilt i feel like his guilt is on his sleeve kind of in those scenes which is kind of takes me out of it but overall i think i like the tension is really really well done in the way that they're kind of having these conversations and and willem dafoe is so great and he plays it so well that he's not um not really accusing him but you kind of get the impression that he probably might suspect him or is at least considering him as a suspect and especially when he pulls out the huey lewis tape and he's like oh have you have you heard this i just picked it up on the way home and he's like oh uh, uh no i i don't even like huey lewis <laughs> what are you talking? and I, th- I like the tension in that in those scenes for sure i'm so glad you brought that up so glad because willem dafoe although only having three scenes in the movie Mm-hmm. is so great and the way he played detective kimball is so great but the directing <laughs> is what shines here so he okay. was told it's so awesome that you picked up on like not really being able to tell or read mm-hmm. willem dafoe in all of three of his scenes that is editing tricks and that is uh awesome directing He was told to play this role three different ways for every take they would do. And then they just kind of mixed the three ways. Uh, So one was, uh, hold on. Yeah, you're charged. Yay. Now I can look up my other stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One was completely suspicious of Patrick Bateman. Like this guy is guilty. 100%. Uh, the other way was kind of suspecting him or something like that. I got to find the I finally charged. I can finally, <laughs> but now I got to like scroll. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So one way was knows that Patrick Bateman killed Paul Allen. So not even okay. suspects, just flat out knows. Uh, mm. Didn't know that Bateman killed him at all and then suspected him. Okay. So playing this same role, every take he had to do a different version, and then they just mm-hmm. kind of mixed all of it together. Yeah. Which is what adds where no one can read Kimball in those scenes. Yeah. No one knows what's going on, especially like when he pulls out the Huey Lewis. <laughs> every time I'm like, there's no way this investigator yeah. stopped by at a record store, bought a Huey mm. Lewis CD on his way to follow up on an investigation mm-hmm. yeah it feels so purposeful and almost like mm-hmm. as a he's trying to bait bait right. 
Yeah. <laughs> Get information out of them. Yeah, it's so but you never such an extreme it's such an extreme coincidence that that's that exact song and album or track or whatever he would have as the one that was playing when he killed the guy that's asking about. Yeah. But at the same time, how on earth would you know that he was playing that music while he was killing this guy that you're asking about? So it seems like it's the kind of thing that would make you panic because you are connecting that. I mean, Patrick Bateman is connecting that. The audience is connecting that too. But if you actually like, so you panic. But if you think about it, it's like, you can't possibly know that. There's right. no like physical <laughs> evidence that he was playing that music. So it's, yeah, it's such a weird thing. Um, now, you also brought up Paul Allen's apartment and how Bateman starts using his apartment yeah. as kind of a grounds for killing. The movie kind of gives you the narrative of he's doing that so that he's not like dirtying up his anymore. He's not mm-hmm. well using his apartment at all for this. So that, you know, he even says mm-hmm. I'm Paul Allen. Remember that he yeah. tries to kind of take that identity. Um, in the- yeah. Well, I think he's, he's using it as a, trying to create an alibi because he knows now he's being investigated potentially. And so now he's like, Oh, if people hear that Paul Allen is out and about, they won't suspect me. I think he also starts using the apartment because um, it's nicer than his. And so he's now taking people to that apartment and saying it's his. And he's like, Oh, it's so much nicer. And just remember that, you know, this was one thing that the movie stepped away from and kind of changed up a little bit. They, I mean, they changed a handful of things, uh, but this was one of the most obvious. So the real reason that Patrick Bateman starts using Paul Allen's apartment mm-hmm. is because his apartment has begun to stink and fill up with body parts. So he uh. has been hacking up and holding on to body parts. He's been trying to cook and eat mm-hmm. <laughs> and he doesn't clean any of it. So it's kind of like... Uh, do you remember the movie? Oh, this might be a spoiler. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try not to spoil a whole nother movie. But they kind of <laughs> stole this ele- this particular element from American Psycho and used okay. it in their movie. I'll tell you when we're not recording. But because okay. I know you've seen it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's the real reason is Bateman full on lets himself go. Like when mm. he's murdering. He doesn't care about being clean. He doesn't care about the mm-hmm. class and all that. He just lets bodies pile up in his apartment. And so mm-hmm. he's forced to use Paul Allen's because it's empty. Now, the movie also okay. does a good job, though, of showing how he starts doing that same thing at Paul Allen's where he's hanging bodies yeah. in the closet and holding heads in the fridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And when he when he goes there at the end, he has to like put on a mask because he's yeah. like, oh, I'm going into this disgusting apartment. So that's that's the real reason they kind of like tone it way down and just keep it where like, oh, he's holding bodies at Paul Allen's place. Yeah. But the real thing is he's like his true (laughs) self that as he feels Mm -hmm. is this vile, murderous creature. So interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) That's crazy. So gross. It's so gross what he does. dude. (laughs) He like. Skin. There's a whole part where he describes skinning one of his victims and eating mm-hmm. her skin and her flesh raw, like from okay. the bone, trying to cook it, but it's not as good. Mm-hmm. Trying to eat the brains, which he mentions in the movie. It's so gross. <laughs> yeah, the only... <laughs> I, 
I think the only person that you see at his actual apartment, because he takes Paul Allen out, he takes Paul and Allen out in that bag, and then uh, the, when he invites his secretary over yeah. for dinner or to drinks before going to dinner, he there's a head in his freezer when he offers her so, sorbet, and she's like just a woman's head in a bag in his freezer, and that's that's probably my favorite scene, honestly. So when he invites his secretary over. I just love the the tension and the playing back and forth where she likes him. She like thinks that he likes her. She's like, he's taking me out to a nice dinner and she's dressed up. And uh, so she comes over to his apartment. He's like, and then we as the audience are on, are in the know. We know what Patrick Bateman is. We know everything. We're seeing the head in the freezer. And you're on and edge so, because you like his secretary because she is sweet yeah. and she's grounded. And then yeah. he pulls even out though he's gun. mean to her and shitty to her yeah she he there they, but there's like a there's not a sexual tension but she yeah. mistakes it as a sexual tension where she thinks she's on a first date she's like flustered and it's just a funny misunderstanding to me and i think that's like the the comedy part of it it's like she misunderstands that he is a little bit flustered she thinks that he's into her or whatever like this is a date he's a little bit nervous because he's trying to kill her. He's like kind of trying to figure out how he's going to kill her. He's going to like the closet, finding this thing. Yeah. He's He's really unsure of actually executing her. Yeah. Which I think is, it it almost is telling that Jean is kind of the only woman he doesn't view as a uh, expendable object. Right. Like, there's depth to her so he can't do mm-hmm. that <laughs> he which is kind of a weird thing for him to or to try and like figure out why he doesn't kill gene but he doesn't yeah and i'm very thankful yeah. he doesn't <laughs> and they have great conversation in that scene where she is she is thinking that he is talking to her on a relational level where yeah. he's like oh i don't I don't think I can hurt you. I don't think I can go through with this. And she's like, oh, he can't. He doesn't want to hurt, break my heart. He doesn't want to like cheat on his girlfriend. But what he really means is I can't murder you. I don't want to like hurt you and torture you and dismember you and all these things. And, uh, and so just the the double meaning and everything that they yeah. say in that scene is really fun in a weird way to me. It, yeah. Uh, it also like kind of adds more to like that what's that statistic that they came out with a few years ago of uh, out of a hundred people that you run into a day or whatever 10 of them are killers or something like that it's some ridiculous yeah. statistic i have killed somebody or something so uh, yeah, yeah. Really, I, it's just so ridiculous i don't know that i believe it but it's, it's probably if you look at all the details it's probably true right it, it kind of adds to that at least for yeah. me, after having learned that and stuff and hearing about that, because you're like, I wonder how many times I've been in a conversation with someone where I completely misread them. Were they really trying to murder me or debate <laughs> murdering me? Yeah. <laughs> Note to self, don't be alone anywhere with anyone <laughs> ever. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Just look over your shoulder once in a while. There might be a guy with a nail gun at the back of your head. The okay, the nail gun. Mm-hmm. I know they Which don't would, use. It wouldn't work, by the way. It's not hooked up to anything. That's a pneumatic nail gun. You got to connect it to a 
air hose, first of all. So a little bit of a mistake in the movie making. Well, right there, there you go. Uh, I'm happy about that mistake because he does use the nail gun in the movie. You actually see the, in the book or in the book. Yeah. You actually see yeah. the drawing of it in his okay. little notebook. Um, yeah. Yeah. He does use it as a way of crucifying, torturing and murdering sadistically a woman mm. in his apartment. Gross. So just the fact that they they don't use the nail gun, but they kept the nail gun in the movie. Reference it. Re- yeah, immediately was like, <laughs> oh, no, because it's one of the most graphic scenes in the mm. whole story. Okay. And it goes on for a while. The author in his Charlie Rose uh, interview was like, there's only really four pages of violence in the whole book. The rest of it are like, listen, just ridiculous Patrick Bateman kind of moments. And I'm like, <laughs> wrong. That no nail gun murder scene is a couple pages by itself. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he sounds a little delusional. A little bit. Uh, yeah, so seeing the nail, there's several references. The notebook with all the drawings has a, mm-hmm. that's like American Psycho book Easter egg extravaganza. I'm sure there's so many things in there that it's hard to see them all. You also don't really want to see them all because the things you do, the things you do see, you're like, that's gross or disgusting. And yeah, for sure. But he lets Jean live, which is great. It is great. He only lets a couple people live. The other, the other guy he lets live. Oh, which I wanted to bring up. um, Lewis, the, the, the guy who is another firm guy who's, obviously gay who has his miss his uh, fiance mm-hmm. is patrick bateman's mistress who is on all kinds of drugs <laughs> on lithium she seems she seems so sad to me she seems extremely depressed she's being a beard for this like huge guy and i think that she feels stuck she can't yeah if, if she left him she wouldn't have anything so she'd rather have status and be unhappy but i'm pretty sure like when when there's that scene where she's like, Hey, if I don't see you before Easter, have a good one kind of thing. Yeah. She's she, the way that that scene is done. I'm like, she's going to kill herself hundred <laughs> percent. Like it's the saddest thing ever. And she's not in the rest of the movie. She's just gone. Yeah. And so it's very likely, but Lewis, it, when uh, he's in the bathroom and Patrick Bateman comes up behind him and like puts his hands around his neck and then just turns around in his hands and looks him right in the face. And starts and kissing like, his hand. Yeah. And uh, thinks that he's there to like profess his love and hook up with him. Yeah. It's like the funniest thing. It's like, no, he has his hands around your neck. He's not like going to make out with you, which, dude. Which says some like, I mean, to each their own. Again, it's yeah. It's the 21st century, but No. no yeah and patrick babe is pretty funny when he like goes and washes his hands (laughs) he's he's wearing gloves (laughs) he's like why just take your gloves off so him washing the gloves that scene is verbatim from the book okay which is pretty great and it is a humorous scene Um, yeah i was trying to think why does he let lewis live even after that because he has a couple moments later on where you're like, he's just going to murder him out of like, yeah, like Lewis might be the public murder that Bateman pulls off just because he's so sick of him. Um, Mm -hmm. I think, I think Lewis 
really survives because he is not like any of them. Not just yeah. because he's gay. His outfits. Yeah. Even though he just went and got a new business card to be like them and he's right, so right. nice and it, that's what kind of sets him off. He is dressed so different, has like bow ties, is a is his he's own kind of flamboyant. Guy. He's got some confidence to him. He doesn't really yeah. engage a lot with the mindless conversations that they have yeah. about women. Yeah. He's uh, not trying to be like one of the guys in that way. He's he yeah. is sets himself apart, which is different and interesting. Yeah. And him getting his own business card, you almost feel he's not doing it to like fit in with them, but just to be like, mm-hmm. Hey, check it out. I could do it too. Kind of like. Yeah. Remember that time we thought business cards were so cool? Right. right. <laughs> so it's interesting that Bateman doesn't kill the people who seem to be grounded in an actual reality or grounded in kind of mm-hmm. have a confidence to him. The people mm-hmm. that are like super insecure that he kills or have mm-hmm. issues that you can kind of tell. Uh, mm-hmm. He's all for doing that, but I think as soon as soon as something is more real, yeah, it like scares him away from being able to to pull that trigger, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, the fact that Lewis tries to like hit on him from that point on <laughs> is kind of funny. Um, that's also yeah. a nod. His fear of Lewis, like kissing the gloves, mm-hmm. they don't bring it up in the movie really, except like one time, uh, or twice. Uh, in the book, the AIDS pandemic yeah. is prominent. That's like okay. part of their conversations a lot of the time because all of them, there's a whole scene where they're all debating whether they should wear condoms or what they should do because they're not going to stop mm. purchasing hookers. Yeah. So you're like, stop it. But they blame uh, the gay community solely for the AIDS pandemic. Mm. And so... Lewis kissing his glove is kind of a like, oh my god, I'm gonna get AIDS from him if he does if he yeah. touches me like that. <laughs> you know? Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, they mentioned AIDS I think once in the movie that I remember. Yeah, and when they do mention it passing. though, it is funny because it is just like they do in the book. AIDS isn't funny, but the way they yeah. mention it because they're like, you can get anything from these people. <laughs> you can get like every disease you can catch just like this from sex. Yeah. You're like. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they're, yeah, they're talking about like all kinds of things like, and then they get down to like learning disabilities and stuff. And <laughs> yeah, like, no, I don't think that's yeah, a virus. That's, it's like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> that's not okay. <laughs> yeah. Let's just do Coke. <laughs> right. Steroids. That's all they're going to do is Coke. So much Coke. <laughs> Him screaming at the guy in the, the next uh, shitter. <laughs> Yeah, Fuck you! I'm trying to do drugs here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his friend is like, is like, he's like, oh, sorry, I'm on steroids. Sorry, <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah, <clears throat> it's uh, not funny, but it's pretty funny. <laughs> I mean, him being like that way, that's kind of funny. Yeah, that's kind of, yeah. that's okay to say. I hope. Yeah, it is. I think so. Um, <laughs> what part are we on? So he just tried to kill, well, thought about killing Lewis, chose not to. Yeah. What were we talking um, about, though, before Lewis? Because I feel we like we're talking about when he took him. his, we took his secretary to dinner. Mm. Um, so we talked about that. The people he doesn't kill. Yeah. Right. And then, uh, and he doesn't kill the investigator. We talked a little bit about yeah. that. And I like all of the, part of the reasons those interactions work with the, with the, what's his name? The investigator 
guy. Uh, Kimball. Well, Kimball. Uh, part of the reasons that I was working with Kimball is he's Bateman's kind of like trying to steer the investigation in certain directions. Like, oh, did you check out this guy? Does he have an alibi? Um, did you go over here and ask this? Oh, is he like missing things from his apartment? He's just trying to like steer things away from him, which I think is smart and done in a good way. Um, and I like that. But it's it's <laughs> it's it's just funny that these guys that he's been interviewing then say, oh, they said that you were at dinner with them. They're like the, these guys were all at dinner and you were there too. And he's like, oh, I had an alibi I didn't know about because <laughs> again, these people don't know what I, who I am, what <laughs> right. I look like. That just you can be mistaken constantly <laughs> yeah. as being in any given place. Well, and that also adds to the like. I'm jumping ahead. I'll hold off on that. I, I my brain keeps <laughs> wanting to jump ahead, and I'm trying to hold off from jumping ahead. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> I know it's hard. <laughs> But then he goes and picks up the prostitute again. Oh, yeah. And uh, this is, he picks her up again, and she obviously is very hesitant to get in her car, as she should be. Probably more should be more hesitant than she is. She probably should have ran her ass off when yeah. she saw the limo. Probably yeah. should have been like, fuck this, I'm gone. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh but she tells him like i can't go with you like last time was ridiculous i had all these like hospital bills and so he kind of gives her money pays those off and uh and then he, he just offers her enough money for him to go with him again and he's like it'll be different we just need to go meet a friend of mine and then they go to paul allen's apartment and elizabeth like you mentioned this woman who's a friend of his for some reason maybe an old acquaintance mm-hmm. actually played by the screenwriter one of the screenwriters um who funnily enough they make a joke about how sh- that he wants to see them like kiss and yeah. make out and stuff and she's like i i'm not a lesbian and he's like didn't you go to sarah lawrence apparently she did go to the actual like screenwriter <laughs> yeah. she went to sarah lawrence and she was a lesbian so it's a little bit inside right. inside joke there um but it's he like then drugs them and yeah. they they do make out and he goes on and on about whitney houston and how great whitney houston is and that uh, this is like i guess at least i will give the prostitute credit because she does try to leave she tries to get out before things get crazy and uh doesn't make it in time though because things literally get crazy right then when she's when she finally that- sneaks away yeah, Bateman and Elizabeth are making out under the sheets, and then she sees like blood start coming through the sheets, and uh, he like comes like pulls the sheets off, and he's got blood on his face and mouth, and uh, she runs away, and that whole scene that follows is uh, crazy. You can't mention that, I guess, though, without mentioning earlier when he's like working out, yep. he's watching, like you hear screams coming from his apartment, and. Uh, and then you realize he's working out while watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And uh, that's a fun, like another little nod of studying killers, studying like ha- what they're doing, even yeah. just like pop culture well, and he, killers. It, it's not only for that, but it's also a fun nod to the book because he does bring up Leatherface in the book. Mm-hmm. And he does talk okay. about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre very briefly in the book. So gotcha. watching him see the watch the movie while he's working out. Although that's not in the book, it's fun to be like, oh, yeah, that's he was aware. That, that's a fan. fun. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, the blood, that scene always really disturbed me when I saw the movie before reading the book. Because it's so gross, you know, they're making out, you know, someone or both of them are about to die. Like, you know this. There's no way he's letting, especially this uh, prostitute who's now here twice. Yeah. There's no way he's letting her go. You got lucky the first time. Yeah. So, you know, something brutal is on the way. Uh, Mm -hmm. The scene always really disturbed me, though, because Bateman is like going down on Elizabeth and then you see the blood like kind Mm -hmm. of show up and then, yeah, he's covered in blood. Mm -hmm. Um, Then I read the book. (laughs) You need to not do that. This is this podcast. (laughs) This episode should be called why reading is bad. Why move? Why movies are good and reading is bad. I rate, I reread the book because the last couple (laughs) movies we've done these deep dives with, where they're based on a, a novel. I've been like, no, I haven't read the book yet. I had <laughs> read American Psycho and I was like, I'm going to reread it. That way it's fresh in my mind. I'm probably going to mm-hmm. regret this decision to have both the movie and the book fresh in my brain. Mm-hmm. It is a horrible decision. Uh, <laughs> Don't I, recommend it. I, I said it. <laughs> I can't remember if we were recording yet or not, but I said it to you earlier. I'm mm-hmm. so glad we've got genuine like, funny episodes coming up because yeah. i am in need i might even need to re-watch like some animated disney i had yeah. said that they're palate cleansers like it's been an odd week for me since finishing the book in the movie yeah it's just okay <laughs> i i can handle so much i like i can deal with whatever mm-hmm. just the sheer brutality of this character though is what gets yeah. to me uh, so yeah. in that scene, it is described mm. him biting into and tearing apart her clitoris. Mm. Mm. And that's where all the blood is like squirting from. That's why it's. Yeah. 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 See, I don't know that I'm old enough for my own podcast. At this point. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's that scene is like the first time in the movie when you actually see him with the cannibal side because yeah. he obviously bites her under the sheets which you don't see but you know that he bit her because it's all over his face and then as he's chasing the prostitute down the hallway and <laughs> like, like trips her he like grabs her leg. leg and he's like yeah i was like what are you you're not gonna <laughs> stop her you're just gonna eat her right here and so yeah but he like bites tries to bite her leg as she kicks him in the face and he freaks out <laughs> not the fucking face <laughs> But then she like gets away and apparently nobody lives in Paul Allen's building because she bangs on every door, screams her like heart out. Right, right. And no, nobody comes to the door. No, there's like nobody around. She's running. She's running down the stairs and everything. And then they've been like naked, completely naked, still wearing minus tennis his shoes. bright white <laughs> tennis shoes is chasing her down the hall completely uh butt naked except for tennis shoes with a chainsaw and like just revving this chainsaw in the hallway again nobody hears this chainsaw going off and uh chases her chases her and then drops it down the stairwell onto her and very well timed i might i must add um but kills her impales her and that's brutal and gruesome (laughs) you don't see the effect of it in real life but you see the drawing on the table right like right after like he's doodling on the tablecloth with crayons at dinner as he's breaking up with his 
supposed <laughs> fiance. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty disturbing. Um, he, I've always kind of chuckled at him killing her with the chainsaw. I don't know what that mm-hmm. says about me. I don't know if it's just because it's funny how he like follows her as she's running yeah. down the stairs so that he can like, time it. Uh, yeah. Or him leaning over the staircase almost like uh, showboating to her yeah. corpse that he got her because he doesn't gotcha. like <laughs> And you're like, yeah. gross. Um, yeah. There is a commentary on why no one answers their door. Okay. Or not a commentary, but there is a theory reason to it or oh. a reason. Yeah. Um, and it, it goes with my, uh, my thoughts on the ending. So just remind okay. me to bring it back up. Yeah. Um, That's kind of my thought as well. We might be of the same mind there when we get there. Um, the other the interesting thing that happens in that scene that is important later on is she like opens a door to escape and it's a closet and there's like a couple of different bodies hanging in there. And like this Paul Allen's apartment at this point has several bodies in it. Yeah. And so that's important as, as you get it to is the important because you start real the movie honestly the movie only shows him kill a few people I, yeah. I think he I think the body count is like four yeah Five? four maybe six um yeah so then but then when you see like the bodies hanging in the the closet the drawings he starts rambling on his phone call he does a whole listing yeah. of extra killings yeah it's like I've killed. 20 people, maybe 40 people. Right. And, and you're like, kinda, I have not seen any. <laughs> right. I, I like that. They do that. They do that kind of narrative in the book as well, where suddenly at one point he tells you like, Oh, I've been killing so many people. You find out about his apartment and you're like, hmm. wait a minute. I thought I've been in your psyche this whole time. And then you realize like a ton of time kind of passes without you even hmm. realizing that time is passing. So the movie takes place over like six months, I think four or six months. The book is two years. So they kind of took two years Uh, worth of material and put it into the, a shorter time period. Uh, Yeah. But yeah, his killing spree is, I like how they handle that. Even when you see the brutality, even as disturbing as it gets, Mm -hmm. you don't see like an excessive amount of it or like numbers or quantity, I mean, you know, an excessive quantity of it, but then they kind of show you and remind you of like, oh no, he's still, he's still killing a lot <laughs> because there's a lot of like hard cuts. There's a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, where there's no real yeah. transition or smooth transitioning between scenes. It just, there's a new yeah. scene. Yeah. And there's several people that you're like, that person might've been annoying enough that he probably killed them anyway right like he he might have killed that person he might have killed that person well and they you kind of leaves you assuming they do a good job too like a character tim price vanishes yeah. after the first third of the movie and then he pops back up and they're like oh guess who's back and you as the viewer kind of like he left when did he leave <laughs> what <Yeah. laughs> like they do that in the book as well which i really like that's why honestly this is probably one mm-hmm. of the better adaptations from book to screen yeah, it's kind of weird saying that one of the most controversial, disturbing, <laughs> disgusting, violent, mm-hmm. offensive <laughs> happens to be one of the better adaptations ever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's very telling. This is might be, I'm not trying to like break everything down to gender, but I think it's really interesting that women made this movie, like a female director, two female writers adapted and created this story. And I think that that transformed it in a very positive way in a better way. Yeah. And I think that that's interesting and worth noting for sure. I still, every time I watch the movie baffled, just baffled that women Mm. wrote it and a woman directed it like very baffled (laughs) by this because I mean, the source, it's not what you would assume. No, you wouldn't. Um, but they do it in such a great way where like the satire really comes forth. You, Mm -hmm. you know, I really focused on it this time around. Um, they don't set it up where it's every male is this way. They, I Mm -hmm. don't take it as an attack on men. Right. Uh, or at least like an isolated attack on men. I think it's an isolated attack on, uh, just this way of life or this mentality, this subculture. Uh, Yeah. The, and, and that includes, you know, both genders, that's men and women Mm. that get caught up in that kind of lifestyle. Mm. We've mentioned it a few times. If you want to look at, uh, current time, uh, the social media influencers, those are these people. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. They're not there to actually do good in the world. They're there just to be selfish and indulge in their, their own greed and vanity and do whatever they want because they're going to get away with it. That's a hint. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think there's, there's, there's a nice equality in Patrick Bateman's methodology where he kills men. Also, he kills the homeless man. He kills Paul Allen. He killed like there's, it's not just, this is a guy who hates women. This is a guy who's crazy and will kill people because he has to kill people. Yeah. I mean, he does hate, he hates everyone. He really does. Yeah. He has a disdain for the human race that he feels disconnected from. Yeah. In a way. That's um, that's a good way to put it. He feels disdain for the, the part of the human race that he is disconnected from. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put it because he kills people where he, the homeless man, he tells him right before he kills him, <laughs> we just have nothing in common. So he kills yeah. him. <laughs> he does that with everyone that he kills. He feels like, well, except for Paul Allen, who he's just jealous. He everything of. in common. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's in competition. I, I, I kind of can't help, but feel like his attack on Christie, the, the prostitute, prostitute that almost gets away. Uh, yeah. Is almost, I think he showboats her death more because of her line about, Paul Allen's apartment being nicer than his because he tries <laughs> yeah. playing it off as like, this is my new place. And she's like, it's much nicer than your last place. And he has that look yeah. of just like, I hate you. And now you're going <laughs> to <Yeah>. suffer. <laughs> like it's that same look yeah. he had when he saw Paul Allen's card. He just doesn't sweat mm-hmm. as much. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they kind of laugh at him too. When he's talking about uh, Whitney, Whitney Houston, Houston yeah. like, you have a Whitney Houston CD. <laughs> right. And it doesn't throw him like he continues on his monologue, but I think that he probably didn't like to be made fun of. But you, you can, you understand that with his obsession with wanting to have all of the, the current trend, the current everything to get made fun of for following that. 
yeah. you know wouldn't sit well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, oh, for sure. Which might lend more to why her death is pretty gruesome. Mm-hmm. You don't, that's an interesting thing though. You don't actually see her die. Mm-hmm. He leaves her screaming and in pain mm-hmm. to chase Christy through the complex. Right. But you understand that. Yeah. Elizabeth is, <laughs> she's gone. She's, she didn't make it. She won't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so before we get to the ending, I was going to say we're, we're getting close. We're, we're showing. Did up. you have anything to say about the breakup with the fiance? Cause that's kind of the thing that happens before that. I where... love the breakup with the fiance. Actually love it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think it's, I'm constantly baffled that she doesn't even like take notice that he's yeah. drawing on the tablecloth the murder mm-hmm. he just committed. Well, he like even tells her out loud. He's like, I have a need to like kill people in a mass quantities that I just can't satisfy. And she just doesn't, it, it doesn't register. Yeah. She doesn't care about what he says or anything. She cares about her life and her wedding and her status as well. Like she's oblivious to anything right. else. Um, so just talk past each other. <laughs> yeah. And then she she only focuses on him when he tells her, like, I get that we know all the same people and we have all the same friends. You can have mm-hmm. them. I love yeah. that line so much mm-hmm. because it's like the slightest, just <laughs> tiny, I mean, as tiny of a hint as possible that you can get of him mm-hmm. being like, I need to separate from this entire life. Yeah. But then he reminds you that, no, I'm just going to go kill people. And you're like, Oh, we were so close to like some kind of redemption, but there is none. (laughs) Yeah. But I love that line because he's so like desperate and he's so Mm -hmm. flustered at that point that he doesn't seem to really care a whole lot right there. You know, he's just like, I just got to get the fuck out of here. I can't do this. He cares more about her making a scene and like making it awkward (laughs) than he cares about. He just wants it done, move on, kind of how he views videotapes. How have we gone this whole time without saying (laughs) I have to return some videotapes? (laughs) I I was going to close the episode with that. Oh, okay. (laughs) Because I do have to go return some videotapes here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. He does have a line. I think it's possibly one of the most ironic lines in the whole thing. Okay. That's a very dramatic drink you're taking. I to didn't make mean me to. Wait. I didn't mean to. I was like, I'm thirsty. I need a drink. But I want to say this real quick. Uh, when, like, he brings it, he says it the first time when Gene is trying to tell him about a lunch meeting that he's supposed to yeah. be a part of. And he's like, just say no. Yeah. That's an emphasis from the book as well. It comes up a few times like it does in the movie where it's just say no. Like you don't mm. have to make a big make a big thing out of it. You can just say no. Mm-hmm. It's such an ironic line that Patrick Bateman is so like for just say yeah. no when he yeah. is so like he's drowning in all of this <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't exactly give his victims an opportunity to say no, no. And it is just, it's one of those other humorous ironies that's 
mm. in this whole disgusting story. <laughs> but yeah. I just I love every time just just say no, Gene. And she's like, <laughs> what? She's like, it's that simple. You just say no. You're like, oh, Patrick, if you would only listen to your own advice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Speaking of lunch meetings, um, that one part that also makes me laugh a good amount is, and it's the tiniest detail, but he has a line when he's trying to get out of the first, I think it's the first meeting with uh, Kemp, not Kemper. Kimball? The Kimball. Uh, Kemper's a serial killer. Um, when he's trying to get out of that, he's like, oh, I have a, I have a lunch meeting at the Four Seasons with uh, Bill H- or Dr. Huxley. <laughs> Dr. Huxley, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it makes me laugh every time because I don't know. I'm sure less people know now than did back then that Dr. Huxtable is Bill Cosby from the Cosby show. That's his character's name. And it's like just a very like pop culture name that he's just pulling out of his ass to make an excuse. Now, how coincidental is that though? That he's drugging people. And (laughs) yes, I'm sure it predicted some things or maybe it was known. I don't know, but that just clicked. (laughs) God damn it. Yeah predicted the future all right should we so, should we get to the atm the atm yep shit, shit cart starts kicking off it's been kicking off but it really starts kicking off but it, this the is ATM. like the crescendo yeah <laughs> yes. and it it leads to the theory that you mentioned at the beginning which is potentially some potentially all may not be real or maybe happening in his mind or something yeah. like that because when he goes to the ATM and he's like just taking out some money, the screen says, feed me a stray cat. And he, there's a cat on the ground. And so he does pick up this cat and start to try to feed the ATM because it told him to. And uh, I'm no doctor, but if a machine starts telling you to murder, <laughs> to murder a cat, there may be something wrong with you. And uh, so he does seem a little bit insane in that respect. So that that's another very fun super obscure detail little nod to the book uh, okay that he does have a quick mention of his psyche completely breaking down mm. and he does mention real quick like it's <sighs> it is just one quick line a part of a whole list of like ATMs are telling me to feed them stray cats and <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So to see that in the movie, of all the things they picked that, I think they did that just because it's so absurd. Yeah. And yeah. It's a great way to show how absurd he's becoming. <laughs> yeah. And, him picking and then he like, kitten. he like, the cat doesn't really want to go. And so he pulls out a gun from his coat and like holds the gun up to the cat, like to try to convince <laughs> it to go in. Force it into it. <laughs> and he's never had a gun before. It just kind of comes out of nowhere that he's like, oh, I have this gun now. And I'm going to force this cat into the ATM. Well, in the and book, the, the gun is one of his murder weapons of choice. He does actually okay. go around and shooting people in the face. He does it a few okay. times. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But I agree with you. Movie wise, he just yeah. pulls it out of nowhere. <laughs> if you didn't read the book, you're like, okay, we're carrying yeah. guns around now. <laughs> yeah. And apparently cats should be aware that that's a dangerous thing that he should, uh, listen to you and go <laughs> right. <to the> machine. <laughs> but then this sweet old lady sees him trying to feed the machine a cat and uh tries to stop him as any normal person would do <laughs> and he shoots the old lady yep. and so now he starts going on this spree 
a legitimate in public spree of killing people, yeah. shooting them. And, and the cops including, are actually chasing him now. Yeah. So cops are after him. And but when he shoots at the cops and then he blows up their car, like there's a an 80s Hollywood movie explosion of cars blowing up. <laughs> yeah. And he kind of looks at the gun. Like he's like he knows that it's not supposed to do he that. He looks kind at of. the explosion and the gun, both with that look of like, nope, that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. And so he might be self-aware that he's losing it or this isn't real or there might be something else going on there, which yeah. is interesting. Uh, that's also, yeah, I, I love his reaction to the car blowing up because he looks, looks so like, what? <laughs> yeah that's not supposed to happen (laughs) and then it goes into the office he goes into work and the doorman again mistakes him so he goes not only does he mistake him but bateman actually runs into the wrong office building but it is designed like his (laughs) and the it looks the the exact same it looks the exact same and yeah the security guard welcome back mr what does he say smith Smith, or something like that and so yeah. he just shoots him. <laughs> yeah. And then he yeah, like goes to the elevator. He's like, this isn't my building. And goes to the next building. <laughs> and over. it's the right one. And he does <laughs> sign in. <laughs> yeah. Gets on the phone and leaves mm-hmm. the message for the lawyer. His, I, okay. In terms of like when actors have to portray a complete mental breakdown, it's typically in the mm-hmm. fashion of like emotional, there's mm-hmm. lots of crying, very heavy hearted. Uh, mm-hmm. His emotional breakdown, he is mm-hmm. laughing and just losing it. Yeah. As Sweating. He's like the, way, the way that he, the way that he talks like kind of changes, like yeah. he's talking in weird uh, phrases and like smacking his lips in a very off putting way. <laughs> like that's what stands out to me the most is just the way that his lips smack. I just got to kill a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I can only imagine and kind of the like mental strain that actors have to go through when they do break down scenes I can't mm-hmm. imagine the warm up that Christian Bale had to do or just like where do you put yourself to have mm-hmm. that style of a breakdown because it looks like he's so joyful to be yeah. like listing these murders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, he's like sad because it might all be coming to an end suddenly. And he's not ready yeah. for that. I think, I think he's torn because he does. This is kind of what he always wanted was to get discovered and to get yeah. the notoriety and all the stuff that comes with that. And that's why he's been doing things so publicly. But yeah, I do think there's a sadness of like, I don't, I don't think he says it. I don't think I'm going to get away with it anymore. So it's kind of coming to an end. I'm kind of sad, kind of happy, (laughs) kind of just scared. I don't know what's going to happen next. It's out of my control. There's like helicopters. Right, right. Which you don't know if the helicopter is a police helicopter. You just hear the helicopter. Yeah. I think it's just like coincidental that there is a helicopter and he's like assuming it's about him because everything has (laughs) to be about him. But like the cops haven't given too much of a chase at that point because their Mm. car blew up. Uh, (laughs) But then this is another interesting, you know, he has this huge freak out on leaving this message. 
Mm-hmm. And then we get a hard cut transition mm-hmm. and it's him returning to Paul Allen's apartment and putting the mm-hmm. mask on. Yeah. Well, he goes back to his apartment or goes back first, to Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. And then uh, is like doing his morning routine. And then he goes to Paul Allen's apartment and yeah, puts the mask on and goes inside. And this is the point where everyone, every viewer is like, wait, what? what like you you almost buy the feed me a stray cat as just a oh he's hallucinating like okay something Uh he's losing it (laughs) but then he walks into paul allen's apartment and it's like being painted there's the real estate lady is there showing it to a couple no bodies are around it's clean (laughs) minus he opens the closet there's like no bodies in there yeah (laughs) And he like takes his mask off and he's like, what, what's going on? And then the real estate. So their conversation is very interesting to me. And this starts leading yes. into obviously the theory of it's all in his head or is it, yeah. or is some of it, but not all of it. Who knows? Well, actually yeah. the author and the director have a definitive here's what it is. And they did actually, okay. which is kind of weird. You don't usually hear uh-huh. uh, the artist's, tell you kind of like definitively no this is what it is usually they go well it's whatever your interpretation is yeah these guys the standard artsy yeah answer. these guys came out and were like no here's what it is and you're like <laughs> oh <laughs> <laughs> but their conversation is really interesting to me because she's like oh are you my 12 o'clock or whatever mm-hmm. he's like no and she immediately is super off-putting you need to get out of here. Don't come yeah. back. And he's like, don't worry. She's I like won't. testing him. She's like, did you see the ad in the times? He's like, no. Yeah, I did see it in the times. And she's like, there wasn't an ad in the times. Who are you? Why do you, why are you here? Yeah. Very defensive. And it's very short conversation. He leaves. She's like, don't ever come back. And he's like, don't worry. Mm-hmm. I won't. And she kind of dodges several of his questions. He like asks her about, he's looking for Paul Allen. Is this Paul Allen's place? And she doesn't really answer. Yeah. She, she, it's a weird conversation because she kind of might know more than she's saying. She might be, she might be cleaning up all of these dead bodies that were in the apartment and trying to sell the place. Like, you don't really know if it never happened or what her deal is. Right. You, you honestly don't know. And then we go to, he's going to dinner because this Mm. is where it finally ends. Mm. He sees his lawyer. And the lawyer's like, that message was hilarious, but you had one problem. You said it was Bateman. That guy's a douche. He's a wimp. There's no way he could do that. And he's like, I'm Paul or I'm Patrick Bateman. I killed these people. Yeah. And he tells him, well, Paul Allen can't be dead. I had lunch with him twice. Yeah. In London. In London. And he's like, what? (laughs) Which is another thing for the audience to be like, did he so all of the none of this happened? Is this all in his head? What the fuck is going on? And then yeah. you and I already brought it up of the like the friends are watching the Reagan speech and they're like, How can he lie like this? How can he mm-hmm. face people like the who does this kind of thing? And Bateman's already like, Oh, I'll attach yeah. to this guy. Mm-hmm. And then I forget what his final monologue is in the movie i have it pulled up because it's pretty amazing it is pretty amazing. Uh, so the whole monologue is 
There are no more barriers to cross. All I have in common with the uncontrollable and the insane, the vicious and the evil, all the mayhem I have caused and my utter indifference toward it, I have now surpassed. My pain is constant and sharp, and I do not hope for a better world for anyone. In fact, I want my pain to be inflicted on others. I want no one to escape. But even after admitting this, there is no catharsis. My punishment continues to elude me, and I gain no deeper knowledge of myself. No new knowledge can be extracted from my telling. This confession has meant nothing. <laughs> and that's the most, like, unsatisfying ending <laughs> to a movie. A- like, this didn't mean anything <laughs> It's such a slap in the face. And the, the ending of the book is also that way. It's not that exact ending. Uh, okay. The ending of the book is he starts listing some more stuff. And then the final words are, this is not an exit. Mm. Which, if you watch that final scene, or when you watch the final scene, if you look just over his right shoulder, mm. there is a sign on the door that says, this is not <laughs> an exit. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. But the ending of the book is just as, like that's it that's yeah what the fuck there's like <laughs> no redemption no character growth no like yeah what no the justice fuck? No. no justice yeah yeah so the the endings remain the same spirit and they it does the book ends with like the him with his friends again well are mm. they friends his yeah colleagues? that's i in my notes i was like oh he goes to dinner with his friends and i was like they're not really friends they're just people that he hangs out with <laughs> right because they are all in the same job click click whatever they're a bunch yeah. of douchebag shitheads <laughs> yeah so that brings us to what how do you feel about i i how do you take it and i am conflicted i tend to like the idea that it was all in his head that he was living out these fantasies in his head, but didn't actually physically do them. But that's so cliche and unsatisfying that I kind of, I I think I prefer, though I don't know if I can justify it, I think I prefer the mixed theory that Mm -hmm. some of it's real. He did kill some people, not as many as you see. Some of it's, there are several times in the movie that's hinted at like, like there's a there's weird editing in the scene when he's um at the dry cleaners yeah and he, when he has like an outburst at her and she kind of like backs up that it's edited so quick that you're like did he really yell at her or not like maybe he's doing it on the inside but not acting it out and so i think of several of the things that happen in the movie it could be things that he was just acting out in his mind or thinking about doing but didn't do and I think especially as absurd as some of the things at the end are like the cop cars blowing up and feeding the cat to the ATM and all that stuff. I think that he may just be losing it and not able to tell reality from his fantasy mm-hmm. in some ways, but I, I th- he probably did kill some people. Like, I don't think that at least maybe, not, maybe he didn't in that timeline, but on a long enough timeline, he will. Maybe that's the scary part. I don't know. Um, that this is his psyche as he's trying to like build up his his abilities or mental fortitude i don't know but it's it's so good because you don't know like yeah. i could go i i 
I at any moment could believe anything. I could believe that he killed them all, and uh, I I could believe any of it. Yeah, uh, I used to be a part of the team that was like, oh, it's all in his head. Mm-hmm. I am no longer a part of that. I am very okay. much on the no. He actually killed maybe not that many people, but mm. he is a mass murderer, like sadistic torturer. He is this okay. encompassing evil. Um, I know the cop car blowing up is absurd. The bodies being gone ran like out of nowhere. Yeah. The place being painted and cleaned is like, what the hell? Um, yeah. I think when you're younger and you watch this, you mistake all of them getting each other's identities mixed up as no one knows who he actually is. I mean, which is true, mm-hmm. but they're all the same piece of shit. So I think they're just too <laughs> right. self-indulged to like worry about knowing other people. Um, yeah, no, I, I firmly stand on. He did kill. He did do all these heinous acts. Um, mm-hmm. The body's being gone or the, the apartment complex where no one's opening their doors as the, yeah. as Christy is screaming and he's got the chainsaw. Mm-hmm. I kind of go the route very similar to Stephen King's it mm. the way he approached the adults in that story where they all know the horrible things that mm-hmm. this creature does they they mm-hmm. don't uh they don't want to be a part of it they just let it happen yeah they'll just deal with the aftermath out of and kind of out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. They'll, if they have to clean something up, they'll clean it up and just, you never speak of mm-hmm. it and you move on. That's, that's kind of, I could explain away the lady in the clean apartment in yeah. that way. That was my like rationale. I was like, maybe somebody found the bodies. Somebody was like, okay, we need to get rid of them. We need to sell this because obviously Paul Allen's not renting it out anymore. Um, so we just need to clean it up, repaint it, yeah. get somebody else in here. And I, I think it also goes to that whole, the way that part of society is portrayed, even the like yeah. the people that aren't directly a part of it, but are connected to it. Yeah, enable it. Enable it. They just don't want to deal with any of it. They know mm-hmm. these yuppies are going to do what they want. We're just mm-hmm. going to, let's not bother them. Seeing the bodies, I kind of tend to think that that real estate lady was like, just get rid of them. Just yeah, <laughs> don't bring it up. Yeah. And that's if we get cops involved, then we're never going to sell this right. or whatever. Uh, and I think that's why she's so defensive right after she's like, there wasn't an article in the Times because I think she realizes you're the guy. You <laughs> like you're, those bodies yeah. belong to you you need to leave. And he's like, yep, I'm out. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I think that makes a lot of sense. I take it as they actually happened. The ATM, the car blowing up. I take those as yes, his mental state is finally gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think he has completely unraveled. And I think that ending shot of him with his monologue of like this confession has meant nothing. Uh, there's mm-hmm. no new information that you can learn from me. No new information I can get from the world. Yeah. I think that's him officially kind of setting his standard of, I will be 
this killer. Mm -hmm. Like I am not going to do the yuppie lifestyle. Now I am simply going to do Mm -hmm. this. And I think that's what makes the story almost more disturbing is that it's like a conscious decision of him. The first time that he's making a full Mm -hmm. kind of decision outside of his yuppie norm. Yeah. And unfortunately it's like, I'm going to just, focus on murder and torture and rape. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And confesses that that's who he is. That's what he wants or what he will do. Right. And he's completely detached from reality at that point. So I think that's why he says his confession means nothing because it's, it's not grounded in a normal reality now. Right. Generally, when you confess something, there's some amount of regret or lesson learned. And his point is very specifically, I'm confessing this, but it doesn't mean that I care or right. grow. Or, <laughs> right. it's, just, it's just so you know, I'm still going to kill people. It's just an acknowledgement of this is who I am now, which yeah. is so disturbing. Yeah. And to me, sets it up even higher on the like, because the movie's not yeah. a straight horror it's not right. a straight it's not a straight any genre. It should just right. have its own genre of like completely fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there is <laughs> there is enough satirical comedy in it that it can be a dark comedy, but it's 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 about a deranged serial killer, so it's very horror like <laughs> and it's very thriller like and and there's enough social commentary and like just straight dramatic acting that could be drama. So it's kind of all over the place. Now I saw an interesting comment because there were some people that were like, why does the detective give up so quick? Like he has this third scene and then he, he doesn't mm-hmm. follow up. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you really want to dive into it, I kind of go the route of like, he probably was getting so mixed up in all these wall street mm-hmm. yuppie shitheads. Mm-hmm. That he either gave up because he realized none of them knew what the fuck they were actually talking about. And they probably yeah. all responded the exact same way that Bateman kept mm-hmm. responding to him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I was doing or who I was with. I was just coked out of my mind. Right. And, uh, well, and he even, I didn't even know who was there. Bateman was there. Everybody was there. He even care. says like there, someone said they saw Paul Allen in London so he's probably mm-hmm. there. I'm just doing follow-ups. He says that to Bateman. Yeah. So I think he probably yeah. got saw the lifestyle and just chalked it all up to like, you know what? Paul Allen yeah. moved to London. Um, yeah. I'm out. <laughs> like- yeah. And if, I mean, if, if, if on a long, if after a short amount of time, you don't have any real leads or any evidence, he's probably just got pressure to move on and investigate right. something else. There are cold cases all the time. That's like, I just don't have anything to go on. So what, what, I can't keep asking everybody the same, the same people, the same questions, you know? Yeah. So that's, that's why I think he get, just kind of leaves yeah. the story. Yeah. I don't think that there's any like holes in it really. Yeah. It's like I said, the, all of the scenes are so purposeful and it moves really well. I think that it's, it's really expertly done for being <laughs> as disturbing as it is. It's one of the best like assembled and created movies, I think. Yeah, it's it's a, a pretty awesome. Like, it's a great movie. I I saw it for the first time when I worked at that uh, video rental store. Actually, uh, do you have to return some video? I did have that? to return some videotapes. <laughs> uh, but it was one that like 
I had wanted to see, mm-hmm. but cause you like when it came out in 2000, we were still fairly young. So we weren't. Yeah. And in the households we grew up in, this movie just didn't exist. Like there was no, no, no way, Jose. It, like, I don't even remember seeing the previews <laughs> for it like that yeah. much. Uh, yeah. But I had like in conversations with like friends or other people, you hear the title, you hear kind of like that movie's so messed up. And you're like, as a kid, you kind of have that like, ooh. Well, yeah. when I started working at the video store, uh, one of my cousins, older cousin, he told me like, you have to watch American Psycho. He's kind of the one that got me into like watching a lot of the, the big, I guess, cult films when I was younger mm-hmm. and in high school. Yeah. And so he got me to watch American Psycho. And I just remember being like, what <laughs> am I watching? <laughs> I was so disturbed but I couldn't look away and I, I found yeah. myself not wanting to turn the movie off because I was so like, I kind of need to know mm-hmm. how does this culminate? Like how, how do we end this? And then after mm-hmm. that, every time I watch it, I'm constantly like, man, here comes that ending. He's <laughs> going to stare me down and it's going to yeah. end. And I'm going to be like, well, <laughs> what do I do now? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, and kind of like you mentioned before, often when a character breaks the fourth wall and looks you dead, looks the audience dead in the eyes like that, um, it is a connection or acknowledgement of, of you, of yourself inside them kind of. And so it's very powerful and doesn't happen very often for that reason. Well, and the fact that the movie was already toying a lot with like perspective, the mirrors and stuff having him look you dead on at the end with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It definitely kind of sets that like extra gross factor of just Mm -hmm. don't, I don't have that in me. Stop it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So all in all pretty darn good movie. It is a pretty damn good movie. It is great, great villain and a great character. Um, one that you would think would make a good sequel. Oh yeah, okay. But, <laughs> I did I, not watch we, the sequel. Yeah, I was busy I, watching I a movie that's I'm assuming way better than the sequel. Yes. Yeah, I uh, didn't really bring it up because it doesn't really have anything to do with the first one, and uh, I don't have a lot to say about it. So it's only going to be a minute or so. <laughs> but American Psycho Two, All American Girl. It's only real connection is at the very beginning. Okay, I'm going to spoil the crap out of American Psycho 2. So, well, I, I watched know. the trailer and okay. she mentions like Patrick Bateman a few times mm-hmm. in the trailer. Yeah, she meets him because she was a kid. She was a little kid, probably 10-ish. And her like babysitter, this girl, went to like meet Patrick Bateman and took her with her. And so the beginning of the movie is they're both tied to chairs, little, this little girl and her babysitter. And uh, Patrick Bateman is like going to murder the babysitter. And she like gets out of her like cuffs and she, this little girl, 10 year old girl kills Patrick Bateman. And that's like her thing. Like that's her claim to fame from now on is that she killed him. Her, the whole story is that she is now decided she's going to kill, uh, killers or hunt 
psycho bad guys. And so she goes to college and it's very much like a college. It's kind of like American Psycho meets Clueless, where she is this college girl who's (laughs) describing her college life. (laughs) And uh, it's Mila Kunis and her... The Mila Kunis voiceover is not anywhere as effective as uh, Christian Bale's voiceover, but she, her purpose is to to uh, go to college, and she wants to like go to the FBI and become an FBI agent and investigate these serial killers. <laughs> okay. And so her teacher, she has a teacher at college who is uh, William Shatner, and. <laughs> And he used to be an FBI investigator, and he stopped being an FBI investigator when he couldn't solve Patrick Bateman's murder. And so uh, she is trying to, the whole movie is about her trying to become his teacher's assistant, because everybody that becomes his teacher's assistant gets to go to Quantico and work for the FBI afterward. And and then so she's in competition with a bunch of uh, students. And she's like, even though she keeps saying, I'm only going to like kill the bad guys, she ends up killing all of these other students that she's in competition with. And then uh, the best part of the movie is one of the guy students she's in competition with, she like tricks him into like going out on a date with her and then uh, takes her back to her apartment or her dorm. And uh, she, he's like, she's like, do you have a condom? And he doesn't have a condom. So she goes down the hall to get one. And he like lays on her bed and realizes there's like a tarp under her sheets. And so he's like, oh, that's weird. And she then she like brings this like string around the back of his neck and like garrotes him, like chokes him out to death. And then you realize it was a condom. She killed him with a condom that uh, she choked him to death with the condom. And that was the probably the best part of the whole movie. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it doesn't do any of the good parts of the first one. It doesn't really have any like connecting message. The character and the motivation, the depth is not there at all. It's a pretty terrible movie, to be honest. <laughs> um, I still can't get over that you were like, it's like American Psycho <laughs> with Clueless. Like, Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's very much like, it's, it's just like that college girl lifestyle kind of i guess and yeah it doesn't have any of the fun music like you would expect some like 90s i don't know vanessa carlton or something but it doesn't really do any of that like it does with huey lewis so it's just a weird it's completely unrelated like it doesn't even exist other than the fact that they mentioned patrick bateman and then she kills patrick bateman it doesn't do anything else related to american psycho so it's barely a sequel i think i uh I'm finding it really hard to picture Patrick Bateman being killed at the hands of a 10 year old. Yeah. Um, he kills yeah, kids in the book. Like mm-hmm. he, yeah. he has no qualms. He does not care. Yeah. He actually, it's very weirdly like he's like, just like taking the longest time, like just fiddling with like the, this lady's like bonds or something. He's just like oblivious, like taking forever. And she just stabs him like with an ice pick or something in the back. And yeah, it doesn't really make any sense. And it doesn't seem like that character would have that problem. I don't know. Huh? It's weird. Huh? So don't bother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't. That was American. I don't have too much else to say on Americans. I do. I mean, it's so weird. I I said this earlier. I don't recommend the movie to really a lot of Mm -hmm. people because of how off-putting the movie is. 
pretty much mm-hmm. right out of the gate. <laughs> yeah. And that's even before the murders start. It's just, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but Christian Bale, his performance is just so it's one of those that like, it is incredible every time you watch the movie. It, I mean, if not more intense mm-hmm. every time you watch it because he's so unknown at that point. And mm-hmm. here he is like, this is the role that Leonardo DiCaprio almost played because they wanted to cast him. Mm-hmm. But then Leo listened to all of his agents and they were like, <laughs> don't do it. It's career suicide. This movie should not be made. That mm-hmm. was like the consensus was don't yeah. make this ever. <laughs> It worked out for Leo. Uh, yeah. And it worked out, worked for, out for Christian. Bale. Bale. It worked out great for Christian Bale because a lot of casting directors after that movie used his performance as Patrick Bateman as kind yeah. of incentive. Of like, Oh, mm-hmm. he's capable of quite a bit. And as he's proven, yeah. the man <laughs> is capable of some of the greatest performances ever. <laughs> like he's yeah. so good. And- and transforming his body for any role. Yeah, which is... That's like his thing. The extreme ways he does it is unhealthy. Uh, yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> no, no. You have to be very dedicated to your craft, I guess. I would... I think it would be awesome to see Christian Bale, Willem Dafoe, and Jared Leto be mm. in a film again together now that all of... Well, I mean, Willem Dafoe's always been established, but... Yeah. Especially Leto and Bale to be in a film together now that they're very established and that yeah. they've really honed. They were so fresh back that then. That craft. Yeah, I would love to see them mm-hmm. star in a film together. I would almost actually prefer to be very dialogue driven. Like, oh, for sure. No action, straight human mm-hmm. drama. Mm-hmm. Those two arguing for like two hours <laughs> or just character growth between that. I think that would be because they're, yeah, their talent is so huge. And I feel like that would just be, yeah, almost a just <laughs> maybe too, <laughs> too much of a good performance. Who knows? But I would really yeah. like to see some of these guys work together again. Uh, now that oh, they've for sure. been, they've kind of been rising mm-hmm. up. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, there is a movie that you can see at least two of the actors in this movie together. It's called sweet home, Alabama, yeah. and it has Reese Witherspoon and Josh Lucas. And they are both That's in this true. movie and they're both in sweet home, Alabama <laughs> <That's> together. <true. laughs> and they both play pretty much polar opposites of their characters in American psycho. Kind of. Yeah. Well, Josh Lucas does. <laughs> Yeah, Isn't she like the rich chick that? Yeah, she's all rich and snooty, and she has to learn to get back to her southern uh, roots. So it would almost be as if Evelyn had a reality check. That's her character name, yeah. by the way. Uh, Maybe after uh, Bateman went to prison or something or died, she had to found another boy toy and decided, like, oh, I need to reconnect with my all that. You know, when we decided to dive into American Psycho, not mm-hmm. in any realm or spectrum anything thought process (laughs) did i ever think jake will mention clueless and sweet home alabama (laughs) in an episode about american psycho i'm trying to lighten things up here (laughs) it's very dark i'm not judging it 
I think it's hilarious <laughs> that you've managed to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think They're that's great fantastic. Movies. <laughs> like American Psycho, yep. they are also great movies. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't have too much else to say on American Psycho. Should we, uh, do you have any? I like so. I think we can wrap it up. Cool. Um, the good news is next week, if you did manage to make it to the end of this episode, next week will not be as sad or gross or depressing. Uh, next week will be a lot of fun. Yeah. So we're doing a whole episode dedicated to this series of Saturday Night Live movies that are adaptations of, of characters. characters on the yeah, show. So there's only like 10 or 11, 10. I want to say 10. Yeah, um, I think so. I, I watched Wayne's World. We'll get into nice. that, but yeah, diving into the the SNL character solo films, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it'll be a nice, mindless episode. I think. <laughs> yeah, a silly episode. Yeah. Um, it should be lots of fun. Should we tease the one following that? We can. I don't see why not. Okay. Um, because you're gonna it's gonna be very spoilery for sure so if you have not ever gotten around to seeing (laughs) the twilight saga we will be doing an episode two episodes from now all about the twilight saga yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) which is gonna be a lot of fun we have a, a personal history with the movies we saw them in theaters I, maybe all of them yeah, in i think theaters. You saw i believe all of i did them. uh yeah several of them together yeah our uh and- <laughs> the twilight saga i feel weird saying that <laughs> uh has like it's weird to say that those films have a personal connection to all of us and kind of like yeah it was around during life event it's weird so we thought it'd be funny <laughs> to revisit them um yeah if you were paying attention earlier, I said it'll be a, a comedic episode because <laughs> I'm sure we will just be the <laughs> kindest viewers. <laughs> yeah, but if you happen to be a big Twilight fan, it may not be the episode for you. But <laughs> we find it very fun and entertaining. But but we're looking forward to uh, dissecting those films and yeah, all the fun I'm excited to revisit them. Production. It's been stories, a while. Yeah. So gear up for a couple of weeks of some pretty good laughs. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We have several, several things lined up. That'll be really good. Yeah. yeah. And hopefully you're All not right. too disturbed from American psycho. Go cleanse your palate with like some Disney, some SNL films. Yes. And yeah, just try not to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's go return some videotapes. All right. <laughs> See you next time. <laughs>